This episode of the Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by SR3 Rescue Concepts because you don't know what you don't know. Life Saving Systems Corporation. We do our work so you can do yours. Tough gear for tough jobs. Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider. Have you taken a minute to reach out to Dave and Jason at SR3? Or what about Mario over at LSC? Or maybe Jimmy at Breeze Eastern? They're not only sponsoring this podcast, these guys are actually friends of mine. So if you have not reached out to them, now is the time. Heck, even call them just to get a t-shirt or a hat, sport their logo, and wear it proud. SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help you with your helicopter training, a standardization check, a safety check, or maybe just an audit or an annual FAA refresher. They are ready to bring your agency up to date with the current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. The training staff is awesome. With certified flight instructor pilots and experienced crew members, which I am happy to say that I am a part of, they offer training in rescue, medical, tactical, firefighting, ground operation, and night vision goggle use. SR3 has partnered with Petzl to assist with the personal protective equipment inspection course and the highly specific Lazard, which is used in helicopter cliff and mountain rescue, or like our guys over in Norway, who think outside the box, and they used it on a vessel that was pitching and rolling. SR3 Rescue Concepts goes beyond the helicopter world too. They also provide high angle rescue training and tactical medicine training. Contact them today at sr3rescueconcepts.com and follow them over on Instagram at SR3 underscore rescue. Then we have Life Saving Systems Corporation. They manufacture the world's toughest helicopter rescue gear. From my favorite harness as a rescueman, the Triton harness, to the rescue baskets and the litters, and of course the most popular hoist in all of helicopters, the D-Lock. The team at LSC cuts bends, sews, welds, and machines these products into existence every day. As they like to say, we do our work so you can do yours. Tough gear for tough jobs. Check them out today at lifesavingsystems.com and follow them on Instagram at rescuegear, at R-E-S-Q-G-E-A-R. And we have Breeze Eastern. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to us, the rescuers, and the operators, and those rescued, has not. Contact Breeze Eastern today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com. That's breeze-eastern.com. Our next guest comes to us from Humboldt Bay, California, where he's currently stationed. There's a couple rescues that he's done there that are just incredible, inland and in the sea. In addition to that, he touches on a couple that happened down in New Orleans, plus another hurricane. The stuff that these guys do, even now, is just amazing to me, and I, I just love hearing the stories. So I hope you guys like it as much as I do. Please welcome my friend, United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 869, Mr. Graham McGinnis. My name is Jason Quinn. 
I am United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Real Rescue Podcast. Today I have with me an incredible guest who has some incredible stories coming up for us. Graham McGinnis, United States Coast Guard, rescue swimmer number 869. What's up, Graham? What's going on, Jason? How you doing, brother? Thanks Dude, for having am, me. Oh, absolutely. I, I am fantastic. You look fantastic. Thank you again Thank you, sir. so much for you coming as well. on. Thank uh, you for having me. Dude, you have you have some killer stories we're about to talk about, and I'm I'm stoked. I'm it's stoked. Yeah. I can't wait. So, but before we get into that, uh, introduce yourself to everybody. Tell everybody kind of where you're from. How you got into Coast Guard and how you got to be a rescue swimmer. For sure. Yeah. So, uh, like you said, my name is Graham McGinnis. Uh, I was born in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, I also have roots, though, in Savannah, Georgia and uh, Asheville, North Carolina. So just between those three spots. Um, you know, you don't have kinda, much of that southern accent. You know, 13 years in the Coast Guard, it's just kind of drowned it out yeah yeah that's sound that's like everybody too. else i don't, I don't yeah. sound like i'm from wicked boston either just in case right. it comes out <laughs> that's it that's what Lost military does draw. right <laughs> that's just exactly right man you hang out with too many people and you just start picking up other stuff and then you just somewhere from the midwest is probably where i'm from i think <laughs> no no that's awesome all right yeah. so, yeah. Go. I'm sorry. so oh no worries no worries so uh i I have uh, 13 years in the Coast Guard. Uh, I got in in 2008 um, with, you know, the, the whole time, the intention of, uh, of, of becoming a rescue swimmer. Um, really, the journey was kind of long with ups and downs. I went to school twice, so oh, um, I, got, I got to play that fun, fun game. No, yeah. Good for you. You know what? Determination right there. Like, uh, for sure. I would have you on my dodgeball team. Yeah. It's a learning experience for sure. You know, yeah. you, 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 you find out about yourself real quick when you got to walk through those doors a second time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So like I said, I got 13 years in, so I have about, um, eight years standing duty as a swimmer. So my first five years were spent as a non-rate, uh, you know, training to be a swimmer. So 13 years training to be a swimmer, eight years actually doing the job. And, uh, awesome. and yeah, that's it. That was, that was, that was really, uh, that's what I've got going on. I'm still in right now, stationed up in Humboldt, California. Humboldt um, Bay. That's right. That's, that's right. it. I was there. That NorCal life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're yeah. surrounded by that, uh, Redwood curtain. Yeah. Nice. Oh yeah. Speaking of which, uh, I actually, because I am still in the Coast Guard, I have to read something for you. Oh, I'm, I'm so excited. It's about time somebody else is reading something for me. Hit me. Yeah. Yeah. Here you go. Here you go. The views expressed herein are those of the podcaster and guest and are not to be construed as official or reflecting the views of the commandant or of the U.S. Coast Guard. Wow. That was really professional. That was really good. Out of the way. That was great. Hey, good job, Coast Guard. Thank you, Public Affairs. <laughs> Thanks, PAs. Yeah, yeah. You know what? We I like the PAs. You know, they give us a good name and they take great pictures of, of everything we do. Dude, I love the PAs. I, I actually, I have a really good working relationship with those guys. And like, I'm really good friends with some of them. And 
I always tell them like, if I hadn't become a swimmer, I would have tried to go PA. That's a, that's a cool gig. Oh, it's a um, Coast Guard story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Public affairs. Yes. We're not going to make the Coast Guard look bad. As a matter of fact, my boy Graham here makes you guys look good all the way around. So I'm excited. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. All right. So now you get qualified as a swimmer. Um, or you yeah. make it through school, you get through EMT school and you go to your first unit. Which one is that? I go to new Orleans. Oh man. New Orleans. There's a lot of guys I've, I've had on here from new Orleans that, you know, Brian Lobinstein was down there. Um, yeah. Gosh, yeah. A, a ton of guys. Um, dude, Lobo is a legend down there. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm yeah. serious. I, I have a buddy, Scott Guerin, uh, and he just reveres Labo. So like getting to hear him on the, on the podcast was, was pretty cool. Cause I'd always just heard stories. Yeah. Um, Labo is an incredible guy. And if you ever get a chance to sit down with him, he is so funny. God, I, I love Labo. So nice. All right. So now you're in new Orleans. Um, I, yeah, I have no doubt you got your first case down in new Orleans. Yeah. How'd for that sure. go? What was that? Pretty quickly. Uh, well, New Orleans is pretty busy. So I think my very first cases were definitely like a couple of run of the mill searches, you know, um, red flare probably, but my very, like very early on after getting qualified, my first case, uh, was for a gentleman with abdominal pain, about 220 miles offshore on like a, um, I guess you would call it like a long line fishing boat. It was like yeah. a 20 or 30 foot fishing boat. Okay. So uh so we we headed out and had to lily pad on oil rigs which is a norm for new right. ones in the 65 you know so we'll stop on a so oil to rig lily pad to give everybody else an idea of that because it's 65 really you you don't have but it's like uh what's your fuel range for the 65 it's like two and a half hours or something like that yeah just about it's three oh, let's go three hours tops out and back so sure to lily pad you end up flying out to a, an oil rig max gas Fly to the next oil rig, max gas. Fly to the next one, max gas. Go do the rescue, and then do the same thing on the way back. You got it. That's yeah. it. So you, yeah, you're really jumping like a frog on lily pads. Yeah, gaining <laughs> gaining your gaining your fuel strength, and then hopping out to go finish the job. Totally. So it makes things more complex, you know. Obviously, like the pilots have a lot more planning to do. They need to have alternatives. If we go out to a rig that you know, maybe we get out there and it's closed. We have yeah. to figure out really quickly which one we're going to go to after that. So it, it definitely makes things challenging. Yep. So I think we stopped at one oil rig, got gas and then headed out. And it was like six feet, which is kind of big for the Gulf, you know, honestly. Uh, and, but just really, really pitch black dark out in the middle of the night. So, you know, me as a young third class sitting in the door and this, it's a very tiny boat about 30 feet and uh it has this long canvas roof on it and there's just like a real small portion of the bow where they can hoist me to and i'm like sure let's do it and i think like my my flight mech was uh was don morrison this was his first case um my wow. ac was mark bruno co-pilot was kale Juren. um and mr bruno i think had all of the experience in that aircraft really at that point so so um, pretty but, junior crew overall. I, and, sure. and let's let's be clear on this. Everybody's qualified to do this job. Like the, yeah. this, we go through extensive training to get to that point. But there is that point where you, when you have inexperience, I'm gonna call it, you're qualified, but you're not experienced. 
And when you yep. get that dynamic, that that is a, uh, how do I want to put this? It's it's not a delicate situation. It's a, it's a, it's an interesting dynamic because sometimes yeah. you don't know what you don't know yet. And it can it, be a hole in the slice of cheese. Yeah, it, very much know? so. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. So, so we're, we're trying to come up with ideas and you know, we're just like, all right, well, this is, this is what we've got. Um, and as we're going out there, what, what made the situation even more difficult is as we're going out there, the captain is radioing saying like, Hey, he's getting worse. You know, you guys need to hurry up. So you're starting to get that missionitis like, all right. Okay. I can so, only like floor this aircraft only so fast. <laughs> yeah. Right. Pedals to the metal bill. Oh my way. <laughs> That's all I got. That's all I got. So we, uh, we get out there and I'm sitting in the door and, you know, these guys pulled it off flawlessly. Like they put me right down this, this thing's pitching. Um, but they put me right down on the bow and I disconnected and start assessing the patient. He's, he's prone down on the deck and it looks like he's got his head over the side in this like little, uh, like a little scuttle or whatever. And it looks like he's just vomiting. So, uh, I talked to him. I was like, Hey man, how you doing? He's like, I'm not doing good. I was like, do you think you can walk? You know, just kind of asking all the questions. He's like, I don't think I can. I was like, okay, well, we're going to get the basket down here. And I'm going to have your buddies help me get you into, uh, into that basket. He's like, okay. So I radio up, ask for the basket. Um, it seems like it's taken a while. Finally, it comes down uh, on a trail line. Uh, and then, so we muscle this guy up. And I set him down in the basket and he's just as pale as I am. I've got the humble ghost. <laughs> There's no sun here in Northern California. So he looks like me. Uh. And, uh, but he's just got this white pale face okay. and he's got that thousand yard stare, um, okay. you know, looking at me and I'm like, all right, listen, just when you get up into the helicopter, just do what the man in the helicopter tells you to. And I'll be up in a second. We'll, you know, we'll head back home. So, uh, he's just white knuckling the sides of the basket, get the ready for pickup basket goes up. Um, you know, it was, it was flawless. I'm tending the trail line, trail line goes up. So they're pulling him in. And then once again, it seems like a lifetime is going by and finally, you know, the captain comes out onto the bow and he goes, Hey man, they're, they're trying to, uh, you know, call you on the radio. I hadn't turned my radio on, you know, young yeah, third know. class trying to figure yeah. it out. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Totally get it. So I turned my radio on and uh, Mr. Bruno's like, Hey, listen, Graham, every time we come into a hover over this boat, uh, I'm pulling 9.9 on the torque. Wow. So, so yeah. And so for every uh, a 10 is, you know, anything over that's going to be an over torque on the aircraft. You know, you're going to over torque the main gearbox. So he's like, so here's our plan. We're going to put the bare hook down to you. And as soon as you connect, we're going to transition to forward flight. Smart. Yep. So I don't know what that means, but sure. Sounds like a good idea. <laughs> oh, so, right. so wait, yeah. okay. Okay. I, I have to ask that. So you have no idea what that, and there's no, uh, th there's no thing that goes in your head that says, maybe I should ask what they're, what they're talking about. Was it? No, you're just no, gonna, he, sound, Roger he sounded confident. Yeah. He sounded confident. So that's good. That's good enough for me. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, to get your first case. And you're like, yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So down oh, comes the hook. And 
you know, I clip right in. I put my butt right over the uh, right over the gunnel, and just like you promised, forward flight, and I just slung shot off into the night. So, <laughs> oh, I mean, that's awesome. That was a cool ride for sure. <laughs> so, I come back up. I come back up into the cabin, and I get in, and um, and I look back to the back. And the gentleman we had picked up is he's still in the basket and he's, he's got his head down, his chin tucked to his chest. And, uh, I look back and I'm like, okay, you know, maybe he's in, in my, in my brain, my first thought was like, I'm sure that that was a lot for him. He's probably just, you know, chilling, you know, uh, not chilling, just, I'm sure he's resting. Yeah. But then something else like kind of clicked and I was like, that's, that's very strange. Let me, let me go back and check on him. And, so I pop my helmet off, put my flight helmet back on and I go back to the back and I shake him and I yell and I don't get any response. And so then I'm like, you know, I yelled in a, a profane word. Once I rubbed him on his chest and I didn't get any response at all with like a sternum rub, excuse me. And I got nothing. And I definitely, I yelled loud enough that they heard me off of ICS. Holy uh, smoke. So uh, I couldn't get the bales down because he's in the back. So the bales of the basket wouldn't come down. Uh, I couldn't roll him out of it. Like whatever we were going to do was going to happen in the basket. So wow. I just pulled him by his legs and got his legs up over the, the short side of the basket. And so he was kind of flat down the basket and I did CPR for 30 minutes back to the oil rig. And unfortunately he, he didn't make it. He, I think he passed away during the hoist after talking oh. to the flight mech. Yeah. I know. Wow. And that was it. That was the first one, man. It was trial by fire, like out of the frying pan into the fire, New Orleans style, dirty star, man. It was not a great outcome, but a lot of lessons learned. Uh, all right. So what stands out in your mind from that? Some of those lessons? Well, first of all, just kind of understanding, you know, like what do you need to have on? What equipment do you need to, if you're going to go down to anything, you should have your, uh, you should have your radio on, you know, so that these guys can communicate with you. That's a good starting yeah, that's point, a good, I think. Yeah. Um, and I think another one of the big ones was incorporating the help of flight mechs for, you know, these, for, for the medical part. Um, I think after that, we started doing uh, CPR classes for the flight mechs. Oh, nice. Um, Cause I had to, I had to have Donnie, Donnie had to help me do CPR for that one. I mean, by the time we landed at the oil rig, the inside was condensating, condensating. There was rain on the inside of the helicopter because he and I were working so hard in the back. Oh, yeah. Wow. So yeah, that was, a, that was another big one too, was, was, showing the flight mechs like, Hey, this is where this is an EMT kit. Like let's open this up. And so if I ask you for something, you know what I'm asking for and where to find it and having that backup. Like I had to learn really quickly, the new Orleans, the SAR there really is dirty EMT centric kind of medevac stuff. Yeah. And you know, you need to have two people in the back that can know that they know their way around the EMT bag. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Super smart get everybody at least CPR certified and or yeah. familiar with what, what's going to happen. For sure. Wow. Nice. Damn. I'm sorry. It's a poor outcome. It started off well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It started off well, but these, that's how it happens. Right. You know, yeah. that's kind of the things that we face. 
and you just never know. I mean, somebody could go their whole career and not have, you know, one like that. Luckily, like for me, I got to kind of get that out of the way. Yeah. Wow. Dang, man. Well, I mean, yeah, that happens. That's it does. Sorry. And I, it sounds kind of cold with me saying it like that. And I know there are a lot of people listening that don't do what we do. And they're like, Oh my God, he, he, yeah. well, how heartless. No, it's, you know, cause the rest of us that actually do the job all the time, they're like, well, we did everything we could to That's help. right. That's exactly right. I mean, how, you said he was 280 miles offshore. Yeah. Yeah. Like 220 miles offshore, but he was way out there. That's a long way. So it's a long way to get all the way out there and all the way back. And so, uh, you know, again, I'm I'm sorry for the outcome. Yeah. You know, come to find out uh, down the road that he he had, um, what had happened was he had a burst appendix a couple days before that while they were in port and didn't, he chose not to go to the doctor for, um, you know, a little bit of abdominal pain. And fast forward a couple of days, uh, that turned into septic shock. And there was absolutely nothing that we were going to be able to do to, to stop that from occurring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So that was the first case. That's a, that's a gnarly first little case. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> Smoking. Well, now I'm, I'm going to move forward because you have uh, two that I really want to talk about because you All right. You weren't a couple of wards and one of them, this, this is going to fun, fun for me. You were down in uh, Hurricane Harvey and down in Houston. And That's I have right. a, a lot of friends that were down there um, with multiple services too, because there was Customs and Border Protection. Those guys were down there. Um, I know ERA and, yep. and those guys had aircrafts that were ready to go. Coast Guard was down there. Uh, one of my classmates um, you know him as Matt Thiessen, or Chief Thiessen, I believe, at the time. Senior Chief now. That's right. So Senior Chief, <laughs> who's up in, let's see, he's in North Carolina now, but he yeah. was down in charge of the uh, the shop. And one of the things him and I talked about, you know, not like offline was, you know, all of a sudden you have like 50 swimmers show up in the shop and he's trying to corral everybody and be like, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> Let me tell you, man, and he did a really fine job of it because let me tell you, you get 30 or 40 rescue swimmers in a shop that all want to get out and get on the helicopter. Yep. Buddy, it's going to take a wrangler to keep those boys in check. Yeah. And he did exactly that. He did exactly that. <laughs> do I love Matt, man. Yeah. No, what, great, great classmate dude. to have. So, and you know, it's, it's one of those things when you're in school and you, you get a really tight bond with your classmates specifically. Like you, yeah. you get a tight bond with all your shop and everywhere you go, but there's something to be said about being in school and going through all that with, to get to that point. So, Oh, brotherhood and suffering. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. So, but uh, anyway, so let me, let me get into this because this is a pretty cool award, pretty good write up. And, um, and, and I loved you to really just kind of bring us through a couple of these Cause you got, you were there for two, two solid days of flying. So for sure. All right. Citation to accompany the award of the air medal to Patrick G McGinnis, aviation survival technician, first class United States coast guard. Petty officer McGinnis is cited for meritorious achievement on aerial flight on 27 and 28 August, 2017 while serving as 
rescue swimmer in response to Hurricane Harvey. Launching into total darkness in an unfamiliar city, his crew entered torrential rain and extremely gusty, which was 30 to 50 knot winds with dangerously low ceilings and visibility. Upon locating a severely flooded neighborhood, he was hoisted immediately, began evacuating survivors. Despite the toxic water, poison ivy, and being attacked and wounded by a distressed pit bull, he orchestrated the rescue of over 20 people by helicopter and dozens more by boat. Dude, you get attacked by a, a pit bull? Oh, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to hearing that. All right. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Side note. On the challenging rescue of an elderly man in need of emergency care, he fully submersed himself to stabilize the rescue basket. Later, on a difficult medevac, he displayed endless resolve during a high-risk hoist after the aircraft suffered multiple systematic failures that led to a loss of all hoist capabilities. Refusing to give up, he used all of his strength to carry the woman on his back while pushing her 90-year-old mother in a chair over 200 meters in waist-deep water to a makeshift landing zone. Finally, after exceeding crew mission time and battling severe exhaustion, he rescued a woman in labor that was losing consciousness. Determining the hoist posed too high of a risk, he coordinated the use of a truck to move the mother to an area where the helicopter could land. Petty Officer McGinnis' actions, skills were instrumental in the rescue of 96 people. His courage, judgment, and devotion and duty are most heartily commended in keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Coast Guard. Dude, that's gnarly. It was a crazy one. So, that's for sure. Go ahead, man. The floor is yours. What? <laughs> that's. I mean, that's a lot of flying. That's a lot of cases. 96 people safe. Yeah. I mean, go ahead, dude. Give me a couple dude, of them. It, I mean, just like anybody, I think like any of the guys that came before, you know, my particular generation of swimmers, everybody who are the Katrina swimmers can attest to what that's like. You know, it's, it's like, uh, what, what do they call Katrina? the Super Bowl of SAR? Yeah. You know, for, for Katrina. <laughs> this was like, this was all the stories that you hear. Um, and you're like, whoa, wow, that's incredible. I can't believe like you guys, it was just like the Wild West. You guys are just out there just getting it done, doing the King's business. That's exactly how this ended up being too. Um, it was bananas. So uh, New Orleans basically prepositioned two crews, um, myself being one of them in Houston while Hurricane Harvey was doing this meandering thing down south. It couldn't really figure out what it was gonna do, right? And uh, so we, we went to Houston. We were there for, I think, three, three days before the, the storm actually hit. Okay. Um, and so we were sitting in a hotel room playing Uno, thinking that all <laughs> the guys who had gone south to like Brownsville, Texas, and, you know, the southern part, that they were going to get all the action. We were like, there's no way it's coming up here. Like, we missed the boat. And then it did that thing where it just kind of came up the coast and sat on top of Houston yeah. and we you know the whole time the plan was that we were supposed to backfill Houston's assets and when they kind of got to their uh to 
to their wits end, we were supposed to just kind of come in and, and start flying after that. So I think it was three o'clock in the morning on the Saturday that like everything was real, like the storm was there three o'clock in the morning. Um, they woke us up, um, like, Hey, it's happening. We, we need to go. And we were in a hotel room, maybe four or five miles away from the air station. Um, we walked out into the parking lot and it was just a raging river. There was like, we were like, what are we supposed to do now? I think the GVs or the rental cars that we had were like two Chrysler Pacificas, you know, <laughs> minivans. Luckily, uh, the, the maintenance crew had brought like the F-450, the GV from, from New Orleans down. So we finally just came up with the plan. We were all just going to pile in to the, uh, to the GV and drive that thing. And my pilot, uh, Lieutenant Sam Brown, he was going to drive a bunch of the equipment in one of the Pacificas and try and ride the wake of the GV. <laughs> Needless to say, we destroyed the rental car. <laughs> he flooded it out. We had to go back and get him. I mean, the water was coming over the hood of the GV. I was actually like, Chief John Jameson was driving it, uh, AMT chief. And then, dude, God bless this guy, because I was like, chief i'm rolling down the windows because like if you hit a ditch I, i'm getting out of this thing like it was straight up the sketchiest car ride I've, I've uh, out of curiosity where were you guys staying in relation to because your aircraft is parked at the air station which is right yeah. off ellington base which is south side of houston um and it's it's uh just on the opposite side of hobby airport hobby international which is south side of houston so what how, how you're gonna have you to tell staying? me because oh, okay. I'm not familiar with it at all. So like we were on the Sam Houston um, Parkway. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And we were staying in like a Hampton Inn or something, maybe like right four or five miles right, right down, down the, the road. road. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I know. But we at. had to go through Houston has these weird, like th these weird highways that dip down. Yeah. So they all flooded out with water immediately. So that's what we were trying to get through to get, get out there to the, just to get to the airfield. If it's any, if it's in, like, if it paints the picture better, like I think we were probably like four or five miles from the air station and we got woken up at three o'clock and I don't think we got to the air station till around four 30 or five. Like, oh it took that my long gosh. To figure all this out. Wow. I think we were it, airborne at five. Jeez. Yeah, so I, I'm going to throw in a little, uh, little footnote to this in particular scene too. A lot of the guys that were at home, like the Coast Guard didn't have enough people and they had to go out and rescue their own guys from their backyards yeah. and front yards of their house to bring them to work, to get into flight gear, to then go out and save everybody else. That's was, exactly right. Houston, when, when Houston flooded, it was, it was, it was gnarly, gnarly, gnarly. And so anyway, yeah. sorry, little footnote there. No. All right. So no, you guys take an hour and a half right. to get to the air yeah. station to then take off. Yeah. So we're, we're doing, uh, I think, uh, Mr. Brown was doing books in the dark paper logs in the book in the dark. Um, uh, we pulled the, the plane out. There's like two inches of water on the ramp. There's like snakes everywhere that had come out of the grass. So like the ramps <laughs> all covered in these little baby snakes. It was bananas. So we take off and, uh, like I said, it's like five in the morning. Uh, and I think, I mean, don't, 
don't quote me on this because I don't really I don't really remember exactly. But I think we were like the second or third aircraft in the in the air that night, like after things had like really kicked off. So okay. I know that Houston had sent a plane out. I think Mobile sent a plane before our, ours took off, um, and then us. So we were like the third, second or third aircraft in the air. Uh, so it's still dark out. We're flying around in an unfamiliar city. I think it was like two, three, four hundred foot ceilings. Um, you know, we have no idea where power lines are, towers, all that stuff. So we're really kind of everybody's eyeballs are outside the aircraft trying to figure things out. And the communications were mayhem. You know, the sector was trying to task different units with this and that. And, and so finally, we, we got some tasking to go look for a woman, uh, a pregnant woman trapped in her attic. So and they're passing us. What does the Coast Guard use? GPS positions. Yeah. Well, in a crowded neighborhood, that means nothing. <laughs> yeah, they're, you know? they're sending you, uh, I'm on the corner of uh, uh, White and Orange Street. And you're like, yeah. what? I'm at 226 Brown Street. And you're like, <laughs> okay. Hey, somebody pull up Google Maps. <laughs> and that's exactly what we ended up doing. You know, oh, you want to talk about having to think on the fly and figure stuff out? Like, I... Uh, eventually I think I, I asked Mr. Brown, cause I'm, you know, us as swimmers in the 65, we're the ones with the least amount of duties, crew duties. Yep. So I think I asked Mr. Brown, I was like, I mean, I, none of us know what that means. Can I pull up Google maps? And he's like, yeah, just, yeah. Pull up Google maps, see if we can find it. So it was on the money. It took us right where we needed to go. However, what it ended up, what ended up happening was sector had tasked two aircraft with the same mission. So another aircraft was already there starting to do work for the pregnant so we, lady. For the pregnant lady. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we were like, all right, let's, let's just see what's going on. So we, we kind of come down over this neighborhood and as we kind of come down out of the clouds um, or not out of the clouds, but like from, from underneath them, there's flashlights everywhere. So Mr. Brown was like, oh man, all right, let's just get started. You know, we're going to, we're going to try and get women, elderly, sick, infirm children out of single, uh, single story homes. And so that's exactly what we did. We went to, we stopped at the first flashlights that were flashing from underneath the awning of this single story home. They put me down on the roof and I hopped down off the roof into the water and there was a, a, a man and his wife. And that's where we started. Uh, hoisting right right there so yeah. um it went like that for several hours uh they would leave me on scene i would just pile as many people as i could um when the aircraft was gone i would uh use i would for the first time ever use the whistle in my pocket and uh <laughs> and just holler you know like does anybody does anybody need help u.s coast guard and people would wave and you know i'd walk over and try to find it and so when the plane would come back i'd uh uh get on the radio and vector them in smoke, which was <laughs> no, cool yeah. it was for another plane that wasn't mine oh nice kind of neat nice okay uh so going house to house picking people up this was just i mean the whole time frame of it is a blur um Eventually, we kind of come around. We're still still have like missionitis. We're looking for this lady, a pregnant lady. Um, so we are flying around and we see, which just ended up being a, a larger lady walking out of her house with two men. And they were walking down the street and we're like, oh, let's go 
let's go see if we can help these guys. So I come down um, out of the helicopter, go talk to them and like, yeah, you know, uh, I think she was diabetic, needed um, medicine. We're like, all right, cool. Let's, let's just get everybody out of here. Uh, my flight mechanic, Kristen Blackledge, she, it's pouring down rain. Uh, she sends the basket down and as soon as I put my hands on it, it was just, ah, ah, and I got the biggest shock I've ever had in a helicopter. <laughs> I mean, like come to Jesus, seeing stars. It was the biggest shock I've ever had. Like so much shows like, and I threw the basket <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God, that was terrible. I used to, I used to pride myself when I was at the small boat station after my, my, uh, my first go at summer school, I used to yeah. pride myself like, Oh, you can touch the basket. It's not going to shine. It's not a big deal. Whatever, you know, it's, it's like a, as a point of manhood. And oh. I can tell you to this day, since Hurricane Harvey, I let the basket touch the ground before yeah. I get anywhere close to it. <laughs> you get one or two. You're like, oh, that's, that's get stung one. for like a week or two. And you're that's... still feeling it. You're like, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's all it takes, man. But I, I'm going to put this in perspective for everybody else that has never had this experience. So the little electrodes that you might put on your muscles and, and you turn the juice up just a little <laughs> bit and it, and it twitches your muscle. Yeah crank that to like max and then just hit it like two or three times. And that's basically what yeah. we feel a really good one. Now, most of the yeah. time they're that little shocks. So you're like, Ooh, Ooh, Ooh. Yeah. But that okay. one just crank it up. Oh God. And you're like hurting for like a week. <laughs> oh, it gave me the juice. It gave me the juice. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> so uh, I ended up, I ended up hoisting those folks and the pilots directed me over to another house they had folks on their roof and a ladder. I climbed up there and the, uh, the helicopter came over and I started piling people in. I was like asking them, Hey, how many can you take? We can take one more. Okay. Um, well, I have a small child here and you, I've already put his mom up there. So we're just going to, I'm going to put him in the basket. And I think for the first time, this was, this was the part of the day that just really made me slow down as I, I had to tell the dad, like, Hey, they only have room for your son. Um, and the, ki- the kids like maybe two or three. Okay. And I could see in his face, this was like the first moment that I could see like, okay, you know, what we're doing out here, this isn't just rescue summer fun and games in a hurricane. Like, right. you know, I'm having to tell a family, like I have to, t- I'm going to take your kid. You have to stay here. Yeah. So it hit me pretty hard right there. And I, I put the kid in the basket and I'm trying to tell him, I think he only spoke Spanish. I'm trying to tell him, Hey, you need to sit down. You need to sit down. And the whole time he's popping a squat, holding on to the, to the rails. And before I can like push him to sit down and that he's already halfway up, still popping a squat the whole time. And so like in my head, I'm like, just stay sitting, just, just stay in the basket, just stay in the basket. This is the kid and in the basket. This is the kid. Like yeah. not sitting down as he's not been hoisted up to the aircraft. Oh, yep. game on. Okay. Yeah, it was game on. And I mean, it was, it was, it was definitely like 15 seconds of my life where I was holding my breath, you know, but he, he makes it up into the, into the helicopter fine. And, uh, so the pilots, they're like, Hey, we're leaving. Uh, you're kind of on your own. There is another family in like north of you right now that we can see uh getting on their roof once you make your way there we'll come back uh once we drop these guys off so I'm like, all right that's fine so i hop down in the water 
real quick the guy that the the dad did he come with you to yeah. the next oh so so you guys trekked over to the next location together so he stayed on the roof there were more people in his house oh, okay. uh, i think there was a uh, i think there was like two families living in this house okay so we got all the women and children out of the house and so the men were going to stay together okay cool so I, I head off the roof and I go and I follow this fence line. I actually like I'm walking through people's backyards. There's like oil bottles floating and just like, you know, everything that's in somebody's backyard shed is floating all over these, these backyards. Right. There's yeah. uh, balls of ants and I've never seen anything like this before in my life, but there were balls like this big of fire ants that were like floating down on top of the water. It was terrifying. Really? Uh, like you're talking yeah, like a, a little bit bigger than a softball, maybe like size of a dodgeball. Yeah, yeah, like this. I don't know what they did or what they were clumped onto, but it was just straight fire ants, just a moving ball going through the water. It was, yeah, things wow. nightmares are made of. <laughs> so, <laughs> I hopped up on this fence and I did like a like a balance beam act, and I go over to this uh, to this house and the fence adjoins right to the roof, and I can see that there um, that there's folks in their backyard part of the families in the backyards and they're they're pushing their dogs up onto the roof and there's already um like a teenage girl and like a younger uh girl on the roof and so i see the dogs are running around their pit bulls and uh and i'm like in my head i'm like oh i'm a dog person i mean my my dogs are sitting right here you know i'm like this whatever man this dog's gonna love me so uh -huh. i come up to the roof i'm like hey puppy puppy yeah comes over sniffs me runs off i'm like all right cool i hop up on the roof i'm talking to the young lady um and i noticed that the dog is just running circles around all of us just very excited um i'm like okay and it starts getting tighter circles like what you would imagine like a shark does yeah 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 so I'm talking to these folks and I'm like, Hey, how many people do you have this and that? And this dog's getting closer and closer and closer. And finally, like it skirts me just kind of zips past my, past my knees and kind of like does like a little check. Yeah. And I'm like, Whoa, I'm like, well, Hey, listen, you need to get your dog. And she, you know, she, the, the teenage girl comes over and is like trying to, Hey, come on, you know, fluffy or whatever the dog's name is. Fluffy's good. <laughs> Pitbull. Come fluffy. on. Fluffy. <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay so this dog does one more lap and comes right straight over to me and takes a, a solid nip at my knee i'm in a shorty wetsuit by the way uh-huh uh, so you're exposed yeah. takes um oh boy yeah so and it knows it too so it comes over takes a little test nip and I hope that nobody, you know, watching or listening gets angry, but I was in protection mode at this time and, and I have dogs and love dogs and I know where this dog was coming from, but I balled up my fist and I hit that dog on the top of its head as hard as I could. And it didn't phase it at all. No way. It, it, it didn't stop it at all. It took that test nip. I hit it and it came right back and nipped me right on the kneecap. And I was able to just push it just hard enough to where it only, it only was able to get a little cut on my knee and draw blood. And before, before I was running down the side of the roof to jump off back into the water, the whole time on my radio yelling, six, five, nine, two rescue swimmer. You got to come back and get me. I got bit by a dog. 
I jumped off the roof at the same time that Lieutenant Sam Brown is going, Graham, you just, you're going to have to jump off the roof. <laughs> so, oh my I, I hopped off and I, I just told the people, I was like, listen, you're going to have to do something about the dogs before we can come back and help you. And they're like, okay. You know, they were very apologetic and I felt bad. I didn't want to leave anybody. So yeah. uh, I went a couple streets over and I ended up finding like a boat um a coast guard boat that was riding through and i was like hey listen there's some folks over there they're gonna need y'all's help but watch out for the dog you know <laughs> that's a piece of uh, just a tip and trick watch out for the dog <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Dude, there's my pass down brief <laughs> yeah that was it holy cow so i guess the big events of the day right after that um we uh I got back in the plane. They came back and picked me up. We got in the plane and we were, you know, we, I, there was a lot of stuff in between there. There are tons of, there are tons of stuff like, but I don't want to get bogged down in too many of the details. And it was no just worries. a ton of hoisting, like just back and forth, picking swimmer, other swimmers up, um, you know, doing work together, which was cool, which was a neat experience to get to do work with, uh, with another swimmer and not just be by yourself. Yeah. Um, but the big one of the day, we got tasked to go and pick up uh, an elderly woman who was stuck in her house with her, her family. And we get over, uh, we get over the house and it's just a very small square of these power lines to put me down in um, to the street. And on the way down, you know, I got super close to those power lines. Like at a certain point I was like, I'm going to need to pick my feet up because I think I'm going to, run into this power line so but you know i didn't didn't make contact they got me down the street successfully cool no biggie i go into the house the lights are on the ceilings fans on but there's three feet of water in the house up to the bottom you know over the bottom of the couch and there's a a 90 year old woman who has one of those uh like walkers that has Ah. a seat on it in the front Okay. okay there's her 70 year old daughter and her i'm guessing 70 year old husband right so and a a family of elderly folks okay uh so i'm like hey listen uh you guys need you need a ride out of here so let's let's make this happen and they're like yeah um you know my 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 mom needs to go first like she's sick she needs medicine i was like okay you got it so uh i got her out the front door and it must have been a gravel driveway uh, because this walker was not going anywhere. So I had to walk this lady out to the street. And the only hoisting area was that same spot I came down in. Okay. Um, and I'm thinking in my head, I was like, all right, so how's this going to work? Once this, once this older lady gets up in the helicopter, there's no way she's getting herself out of this basket. And there's no way that Kristen, my flight mech, is going to be able to get her out of this basket. So I was like, all right, let's do this differently. I was like, I'm going to put the the 70 year old woman and then the 70 year old husband in first who can hopefully get themselves out. And then, um, you know, the, the, the older 90 year old woman can be last and just chill and just hang out in the basket. Yeah. So that's my plan. So I get the 70 year old woman and I, I put her in the basket and I have to kind of hold the, I have to like do a squat and hold the basket on my knees. Otherwise like these, when these guys step in, they're going to be in the water. Um, and it just kind of made people, people feel a little more comfortable when their neck's not like right. underwater. Yep. So I kind of hold it up on my knees, ready for pickup. 
that's how I've been doing it all day. Um, it, it worked swimmingly. Uh, so pun intended. I, pun <laughs> intended. So I got it. I, I get got the it. lady. I, I knew you would. I knew that one wasn't gonna wasn't gonna slip by you. So I get her in there. I give the ready for pickup signal. Basket goes up. As it goes up, I see it's it's going away from me. It's it's kind of backing up. And I'm like, um, okay. Like I also can see that the power lines behind where we're hoisting. Okay. Baskets going up, baskets going up. And you know, I the inevitable is getting ready to happen. The basket's not going up fast enough, and they are backing into the power lines. Oh God. And all I can do, you know, I have the, the older lady and the husband standing 15 yards away from me watching mm-hmm. all of this happen. And all I can do is just, no, 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 no. Like, that's my, if you ever see me do that, things aren't going well. That's my, that's my automatic. <laughs> Hands on your head. Ah! <laughs> yeah. And I watched the cable bounce off of the power lines once. Holy shit. Come back to the power lines and explode. <gasps> just the whole thing just explodes and looking up, I see the basket just do a backflip. You know, when somebody's sitting in the basket, it's kind of leaned back, you know, it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. riding back. So when it, when the cable parted, it just spun and did a backflip into the water. Oh my god! And gosh. I'm just, just right off the bat. Like I just, I, I clicked in and just zoomed over to the basket. Uh, there was a ditch that when I, when I first got into the street and yeah. walked over to the house, I found that by accident. There was a ditch. <laughs> yeah. Oops. So didn't look super cool wading across that, but I swam straight across this thing, got into their yard and I'm expecting to flip this basket over and just see like a cooked hot dog, you know, and I flip it over and I just see this lady sitting in here, eyes wide open. And I was like, Oh my God. And so I scooped her up out of the basket and I just, ran her back into the house the whole time i have no idea what's going on in the helicopter like in in my brain i'm thinking that thing just hit power lines something like it's probably going to fall out of the sky that's what's fall that's what's going on in my brain so the first thing i did i got this lady inside i, I ran inside and i just jumped on the radio and i said mayday 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 this is the coast guard rescue swimmer with an emergency and hoping that I didn't know who I was calling or who I was talking to. Like I was, you know, borderline panic mode. Like I didn't know what to do next or what was going to happen. And if you ever talked to, you know, Mr. Brown or any of the guys in there, they didn't know what was happening either. Kristen was trying to speak to them. um, But all day long we had had ICS failure because of the water intrusion. Yeah. So So a little quick side note on that one as well. As a hoist operator, when you have torrential downpour, um, the water will end up running down the mic boom and hit the mic itself, which tends to short it out from time to time. So, you know, a good tip and trick is you can use a little leather uh, cover to cover that up. But still, when the water gets down in that mic, it, it shorts it out. Uh, you know, yeah. Gentex um, and some of the other, you know, I, I can't think of the other names off the top of my head, but those mics are awesome until they get wet. And then it's like, ah, okay. Yep. That's exactly right. So that was the contributing factor to the mishap was the water intrusion from just all day being soaking wet. We had just been dealing with squealing 
all day, you know, the pilots, yeah. we had just been working around it to, to, to do the work. Right. But this time it, it caught up to us, um, the water intrusion and really it was just still windy and rainy and they ended up, uh, during the hoist, you know, uh, as all this was happening, you can hear, uh, uh, from the hoist cam, Mr. Brown saying like, Kristen, I can't hear you what's going on. And as soon as she gets back on, um, she goes, can you hear me now? She'd switched to alternate or, or, or whatever she had done. Uh, and she, and all you hear her say is, uh, power lines, power lines, power lines. And, and then that was it. You can see on the hoist cam, it just hits and just, and just parts it. It just, it's like you, it's like you, um, blew a fuse. Yeah. The, the, the cable hitting the two power lines, it just blew like a fuse um, Holy and cow. just parted it right there. So I got the rest of the folks back in the house. Basically my brain is running like reptilian brain at this time. I'm like, let me just get everybody back in the house and hit the reset button. The plane yeah. is still in the sky. And like I had established comms with them once again and realized like, okay, they're fine, but they can't hoist anymore. Kristen had actually like was so, um, taken aback by what had happened that she had kept her thumb on the thumb wheel and reeled the cable back into the drum. Oh, no so kidding. We were done. Uh, the, the hoist, the hoist was now inoperable. So, uh, I got everybody back in the house. Honestly, you know, I, I stepped off onto the front porch and I had to take a moment for Graham to, to kind of re recage myself. You know, I, I thought that for sure that we had, you know, had hurt somebody, you know, really badly. And fortunately that wasn't the case. So I took a second to recage, um, went back inside, did an assessment, you know, earlier on the lady, she was fine. She was absolutely fine. Wow. I got her back inside and I was like, are you okay? And she's like, I think I got shocked. I'm like, lady, you almost died. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I don't mean to laugh at that, but wow. Yeah, I know. It just, it was, Dude, you have no idea. Ab, you don't even it was know. An absolute miracle. You have no idea. Like it was a 15 foot fall, like 10 to 15 foot fall in a basket. Luckily the, there, the street was flooded. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So she um, hit the water It was, and it softened the, the impact. That's right. That's My right. Goodness. It was a 100% absolute miracle. Absolute miracle. So we ended, I ended up hauling those folks. We came up with a plan. They landed on a highway that was separated by this, uh, um, like a construction rental company and it had two chain link fences that I had to, they landed on the highway and, uh, my flight mech and my co-pilot got out with the, with the, uh, hoist shears with the cable cutters yeah. and cut their way through the fence uh, to help me get through with these, with these folks. And actually, as a matter of fact, if you've ever read, um, the hurricane within Ashley Leppert, the flight mechanics book, I have not, uh, but I will put that on my list. Yeah. She, she was, uh, she was on another crew. They had come from NOLA, uh, early that morning and just happened to cross us hoisting at the same time. This is another new Orleans crew. And I even heard in my radio, um, you know, uh, Lieutenant commander, Larry Santos, radio down like hey guys he's got this super chill california voice he's like hey guys do you guys need any help like you know we're you know i was like ah people i know like, okay <laughs> things things are getting better you yeah know? yeah so so they bo both helicopters landed on the highway 
um, and everybody got out, cut through this chain link fence. Their swimmer, Bob Hovey, came over and gave me a hand getting everybody over to the highway, and we medevaced everybody from the highway. They ended up leaving us, and Bobby and I did some more work in that neighborhood, getting people out and moving them to a spot where some boats could get to them. Um, and then uh, Mr. Santos, his plane came back to pick us up, and once they landed on the highway, they picked uh, Bobby and I up. And uh, funny story about that. We're, we're standing on this overpass waiting for the helicopter to come back. And Bob goes, hey, man, you uh, you notice anything about me? And I go, yeah, man, you've been walking around with two left shoes on all day. <laughs> he, had, he had left so early in the morning, he just grabbed stuff off the dry rack. He grabbed two left Converse's chucks. I've <laughs> been walking around with them all day. <laughs> So ever since Dude, we called left foot, must Bob, have been killing him at the end of the day. Killing, oh. killing. it had to be killing. Oh, he, oh we get back in the plane. Miserable. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> I can't. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine how bad that was for him. Dumbass. So That's yeah, funny. you said it. I'm just me. kidding. He I'm is. just kidding, buddy. I'm just kidding. No, he, it happens. No. He'll take that one. He'll own it. Oh, uh, that's hilarious. So they come pick us back up. And then, so the other big one for this day was uh, on our way back. I hear Mr. Santos, he, you know, leans back and goes, Hey, do you guys want to do another one? We're like, yeah. <laughs> He's like, there's a lady who's in labor in an apartment building. He's like, y'all want to go? I was like, sure. So we uh, diverted over and did that. Uh, went down into an apartment complex, Bob and I, uh, uh, you know, there's a, giant crowd of people outside this apartment building. One of the residents came and, and guided, uh, uh, guided us over to the, to the right spot. I can hear the yelling through the wall of the lady in labor. I've never seen, I don't have kids. I've never, you know, been a part of this, uh, of this transaction. <laughs> so, I come through the door first and, uh, and Bob's, Bob's a few ways behind me. So they had to do a, uh, a second hoist of him in the EMT kit. So I had already started in I walk in and it's, this lady is on her couch in the middle of labor with oh, people on either side, like holding her hands. She's, you know, she's in the middle of it. So I have to take a second, get myself together. <laughs> I don't know if, I don't know if you know, Bob Hovey, but Bobby walks in the door and just gets a really interesting face on and immediately starts taking off all of his gear. Like he took his Triton off. He took, he took every piece of gear. He's opened up the EMT kit. And I'm just like, I'm kind of standing there like, all right, I'm kind of trying to assess what we need to do. Like what we're doing. And Bobby is like getting in it. He runs around into the kitchen when it has this open window into the living room where the, all this action is taking place. And I see him, he's in the sink washing his hands. And he just goes, scrub up, Graham scrub up <laughs> <He's over there. laughs> and i'm like what he puts on double gloves and i'm like are we are, are we doing surgery like what is happening right now about to do so, baby come on dude bobby <laughs> is on it dog on it so uh, he comes back around and we you know, slow things down a little bit there's uh, the lady's um, midwife is on the phone on speakerphone and there's a nurse there from the apartment complex. They had put it out on like Facebook. Somebody's having a baby and a nurse came and was kind of taking care of things. So we were just bystanders. We're just there kind of just trying to figure out what the next steps are. Everything you learn in EMT school for a birth is what? Let mother do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah if it's, it's happening, uh, just yeah. let it happen. 
what is Give it? Guidance. We've been doing this for millions of years or yeah. whatever it is. Encouragement. You're not going to make you it You can do it. <laughs> you can do it. Yes. That's us guys helping you ladies out. You can do yeah. it. <laughs> oh, man, you're doing so great. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, all, this is going on for a while. And you know how a helicopter is. A helicopter, like, they want to know, like, what's going on? Why aren't we hoisting? Like, yeah. you know. They're burning they're fuel. The they're, they're, like, they're, they're doing they're, patterns above you. Totally. They're like, we got things to do. And, like, we're on there as EMTs going, okay, she's giving birth. I'm not trying to stick her in a basket. And, you know, while all this is happening, like, we're not trying to make the, the situation more stressful. So, uh, I, we told them, hey, go back to uh, Ellington and grab as much pediatric stuff as you can get. So they, so they, and they needed gas anyway. So they went back and, and, and got some fuel and we're kind of just hanging, watching things unfold. Well, while they're gone, uh, we're trying to come up with a plan. I'm like, all right, so either she has this baby now and we take mama and baby and we go hoist or do whatever. Honestly, my whole brain was like, I don't want to hoist. Cause this just, I think it's undue stress. I was like, we really need to find a place for the helicopter to land and we'll take them that way. Yeah. Smart, uh, by the way. Either, yeah, right. Because I'm like, dude, she, this lady just gave birth. Last thing she wants to do is take a Disney World ride 150 feet up into a helicopter. So, wait a minute, you got you guys were there. You you helped give birth to the baby. No. Oh, so <laughs> so she. So what is happening? I got it. Okay, okay. Sorry, I jumped too far. So, so <laughs> oh, you're fine. No, you didn't ruin anything because this. I mean, you don't see this one coming. It's like. So we're standing there and I, I looked at Bobby. I was like, look, one of us needs to go figure out what the plan is. Another one can stay here. And that was the, the great thing about having two swimmers is we can kind of delegate duties. Right. Yeah. So I was like, one of us needs to stay here. Uh, and one of us needs to go figure out what the plan is. Like, what are we going to do? And I'm sitting here thinking about it. Bob's got two beautiful girls. So he's a dad. So uh, we're silent for a second. And I look over Bob and I'm like, you got kids. You can stay here. I'll go handle that. And I just walked out the door. You're qualified. <laughs> yeah. I see Bobby's face just kind of, Oh man, man, he's right. He's right. Dang it. So oh, I head great. out and I find a, I find a guy with a truck and all these people with, you know, it's like, Hey, listen, can we just get a bunch of towels put in the back of this truck? Like, where is there a spot where a helicopter can land? They take me over to behind this, like, uh, like a grocery store, like a, a strip mall kind of thing. There's a big parking lot in the back. When the plane finally comes back, um, you know, I tell them this plan. They're like, cool, you got it. They come in for a landing, and there's still fuel coming out of the, uh, out of the donkey, uh, out of the fuel jettison nozzle oh. on the back of the plane because they had to dump some fuel to make that landing happen. So Interesting. they put it in the back of the parking lot. Yeah. Um, they bring, you know, we get the lady, uh, in the back of the truck. And so I apologize. I jumped forward. This lady was not doing well. The baby had made its way. We could see the crown of the baby's head Okay. and it wasn't going any further a long time. It was just not moving. And final, and the lady eventually started going in and out of consciousness. And that's when we were like, okay, you know, show's over like put her in the back of the truck. Uh, and, and that's when we actually got her outside and put her in. And so we had this, we had this plan in place with the truck and the towels to go over to the parking lot 
and that was kind of our backup plan. And, and we ended up using it because uh, this turned into a, a, a complicated berth pretty oh, quickly. Wow. So when they landed the helicopter, the flight mech, Ashley Leopard, she, you know, she was out of the helicopter. We stripped that thing of everything on board. We took off the raft, the seats, everything in the back, the basket, all of the rescue equipment, because their whole plan was they're going to take off with mom, dad, the nurse, and Bob. Uh, and that was, so they were going to take off with a fully loaded cabin. So we took everything off. So they get out of there and head to the ER. Um, and it worked out, worked out really well. Uh, nice. Ashley Leppard and I just stayed in the parking lot and chilled out for a little bit until they came back and got us. And, uh, and really that was the, that was the end of the first day at Harvey. End that of was the one day. first day. Oh my gosh. Yeah. What a good day. Yeah. Yeah. Man. It was nuts. Holy smoke. Good job, dude. The only, the last thing I want to say about Harvey is the second day, the second day we were hoisting out of a trailer park that was really flooding really badly. Okay. And once we had gotten a bunch of people uh, out of there, my, I, the original call was for somebody who was sick and, uh, or a young boy, a young boy who was sick. So I f found my way over to, um, over to that trailer and there happened to be a CBP helicopter that was also customs and border protection my boys yep so those guys were also hoisting in a 60 on the other side of the trailer park so my pilots weren't super comfortable because they couldn't get good comms with them they weren't super comfortable with coming in to do this pickup as i was walking over to the trailer the cbp guys saw me and followed me through the through the trailer park to wherever i was going and I'm like looking up and I'm like, what are these guys? And that's kind of why the pilot, my pilots were like, uh, just see what you can do with the CBP guys. And I was like, you got it. So, uh, I found the, found the trailer, uh, the little boy comes out and, um, you know, I signaled up for a basket. I was like, I hope he know, knows what that means. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. They did great. They sent the basket straight down and it was, I guess they have the collapsible basket, which that thing's yes. pretty cool. Yes. That thing's thick. What a space yep. saver. Yeah. Oh, it's, I, so, I, I, that's what I use now. I love that yeah. basket. Yeah. Well yeah, done. LSC. That thing is top notch. Yeah. Yeah, man. That thing is super cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I put him in there, gave him the thumbs up and off he went into the, uh, into the CVP. And I, so I left there, the mom, uh, I put the mom and everybody. And once I left that trailer, the CVP guys kept following me through the neighborhood, you know, looking for, for some more hoist. And finally I was just like, I was like, that's it. Like we're done. And they, they kind of, they kind of got the hint and they took, I wasn't oh, trying to be no. mean. I was like, I need, I'm trying to get back to my helicopter. Yeah. You know, you should have gotten all so, of them. What's up? High five. I, you know, <laughs> that would have been a cool ride. That is good. That's it. That would have been a good story. Man. Even better. My plane picks me up. And as I'm going up into my plane, I look into this, into a backyard and there's a dude in jean shorts and no shirt in the pouring rain. And he's waving an American flag like this in the backyard. I mean, it does not get more patriotic than that. All I was so taken aback. All I could do is just point and give the thumbs up. <laughs> it was so great. Oh man. That's so funny. Dude, yeah. that's awesome, man. Good job, dude. That's, you, that's uh, so I, I have not been in the hurricane situation. Uh, I did not go down to Katrina. Um, I ended up staying in Humboldt. And, uh, and by Harvey, I was already out of that out of that scene. I was in, you know, instructing, so I was not there for that either. But um, gotcha. You know, I got 
I get the gist of it. And I, I love hearing all the stories and listening to helicopter and helicopter and helicopter running down streets. And man, it's awesome. You guys, everybody that has done that, man, good on you. That's dude. It's cowboy stuff. Pretty nice. It was awesome. Yeah. It's like a organized chaos is, is what it is. For so. sure. Dude. Yeah. Incredible. Good job, dude. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I got my first taste of, uh, of, of seas out here, like after six years in new Orleans with like, you know, Oh, it's, oh. it's, it's pretty big oh. out in the Gulf. It's like six feet, dude. I just pulled two people and two dogs off a sailboat uh, around the Cape of Mendocino in 15 and twenties. I was like, this is not the Gulf, my friend. So you just had a case two weeks ago. Yeah. Humboldt has been good to me. <laughs> okay. All right. Two weeks ago. Yeah. Okay. We're going to turn this episode into over two hours. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What do you, hey, All right. what do you got? Go. What do you get launched out for? Oh, uh, so we, uh, we got a call of a, a, a hypothermic person on a sailboat, um, like 30 something miles off of Fort Bragg. Uh, and so that's, that's our Southern AOR. Yeah. Um, Humboldt is above this point. If you look at a map of California, Northern California, there's a point called Cape Mendocino. And it's kind of just like this jut of land. Humboldt's above it. And then Mendocino and Fort Bragg are below it. Um, notoriously, uh, when you round that Cape, you know this, the weather can change. You know, it, oh, yeah. it can be a lot windier around the Cape. So it was like 10, 12 feet up here in Humboldt, which is a, you know, this place is pretty well-known Pacific Northwest wise, like Humboldt gets pretty big waves. It's pretty, it can be pretty gnarly out here. I think we have like a, like a waiver that says we can do swimmer ops and up to 20 feet waves, you know, like just, it's just, it's, it's gotta be the norm or else you wouldn't get trained, you know, it's, it's big a waves. big wave. So, so we head out and we get around the Cape and it turns into like this 30 knot tailwind. Like it just like, was zooming around and the waves picked up immediately. You could see as soon as we rounded the Cape, it's not tens and twelves anymore. It's fifteens, twenties, and who knows what else with like this, like one foot wind break over the top of that. Um, so that's, we finally for get down. All my metric friends out there. That's uh, five <laughs> to seven meters. I got, I got to start throwing that out. <laughs> so hey, you're, it's you're an international at, audience. Yeah. So you're looking at, at 15 to 20 foot waves or, basically five to uh, seven meter waves. That's pretty gnarly. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It was big stuff. So, and I think we finally got the report. It's like a 23 foot sailboat. So these guys are getting beat to death. Uh, we initially couldn't find them. And then we were able to get them up on uh, on, on VHF radio and we're able to, and this is actually one of the first times I've ever seen we DF'd to their location off of that had them do like a slow count and df over to their location initially couldn't even we couldn't discern them from the white caps and i think finally the co-pilot uh audrey forteza she was like oh i see him here they are right here and it was just this little tiny white boat just being sloshed around in these big boys and they were just keeping just keeping the uh, uh the bow um along with the along with the waves so we came alongside and asked them to throw a rope out the back, a line off the back so that I could, you know, swim and kind of pull myself over to it. 
once again, a lesson that I've learned from listening to other people's stories. Yeah. Super smart, dude. That's awesome. Yep. So they throw a line off the back. Um, and I elected to do a sling deployment uh, into these waves because, like I said, I'm from the Gulf. You know, I spent the majority of my career in the Gulf. So, and then I've at least, I've been here for two years. So I've had the opportunity to do surf ops and do some heavy seas. And so I've kind of learned, you know, the ropes with this, but this is my first time actually having to affect a rescue in, you know, big seas. So did a sling deployment, totally botched it. I, you know, <laughs> I, I came out clean, was on top of the wave and just swam my heart out to try to get to this boat. I mean, and also I'm not going to take all the credit for screwing it up. Uh, the, the folks had thrown over a line, but I don't think they understood the purpose of it. And the, the line was like eight feet long. Oh. So <laughs> my trajectory was, I had it, you know, and I actually like, I ended up where I was like, oh, there should be a line here. Like I didn't see it as I was coming out. I think I just asked the pilot, I was like, hey, is there a line coming off the back? And I think he said, yeah, uh, but it's a little short. And I was like, oh, okay. And I never like, I should have looked for myself before heading out the door it's a little because, short it's eight feet. yeah you're looking for like an eight feet foot rope <laughs> yep i was like oh, oh for sure awesome. like where is this thing you know so i i shot to the stern of this thing i didn't want to be you know i know some people talk about like oh just you know deploy before it and let it drift down to you and i was like these waves are too big and that boat is too small and it's really squirrely. He's just, you know, the, the gentleman on the back is just steering it with the rudder. Okay. Um, it really, that's all the control he had. And I was like, I definitely don't want this thing barreling down on top of me. So my whole plan was I'm just going to deploy close to it and then swim real hard to the back of it and try and intercept this rope. Well, that's what I did. I got back there and like, I'm swimming behind it, like looking underwater, you know, the water's real clear out here and I'm like, where's the rope rope's not there boat's gone so and i'm like well, i'm not going to catch that so i called for them to come pick me up i got back in the sling and then direct just asked them to send me straight back over to it and this time i just deployed a little bit closer i think that the folks on board realized what the plan was and they threw over a, a different line oh, it was a nice. little bit longer oh that was nice of them so <laughs> it was really nice of them because i was starting to get tired already <laughs> So I pulled myself up to the boat, you know, hand over yep. hand. Um, it had this little outboard on the back that they weren't, that wasn't in use. It was just kind of up. So I was kind of watching out for that thing. I grabbed on the side and just talked to them over the side. And uh, eventually it was like, all right, I need to get on this thing. So I kind of shimmy my way up, did a big pull up, got my knee on that outboard and just So that's myself. actually a muscle up right there. I'm going to throw that out. It's more than a pull up because you actually get, you have to get up over the boat. Well, so, I appreciate that. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> I, I would call it more of a, uh, a, a pull and belly flop. Into That's, the, that, whatever. Into the... that, I'm okay with that too, but. <laughs> but it worked. For all of those out there, they don't think you, you can't, you have to like just stick to one training regimen. I don't know. This is CrossFit. Baby. <laughs> this is uh, That's right. functional fitness. Come you gotta be able it. to do everything. <laughs> Jeez. All right, so you so get on the boat. I flop All into right. this guy's boat and I see uh, the lady. So he's, he's actually got a pretty cool, calm demeanor. He's steering. He's like, Hey, I can't let go of the rudder or else this thing's just going to go sideways. And I was like, cool, man, you do you. I'm talking to the lady and she is for sure in a deep state of hypothermia. She's shivering really badly. 
can barely get her words out. And I'm like, all right, so here's the deal. I, the 47 foot motor lifeboat was on their way from Noya river. Okay. This is how bad it was. I think that we were 30 something miles off Fort Bragg and the 47 reported that their ETA in those seas was going to be like an hour and a half. Oh my so goodness. It was that big. Like this, that's not a trip. It shouldn't have taken that long. And that's how bad it was that it was going to take them that long to get out there. So, wow. Um, so we knew that and we're like, all right, that, that kind of helped us make the decision to, to do the deployment anyway. So, uh, so I'm talking to the lady, I'm like, Hey, here's the deal. There's going to be a boat here in about an hour and a half. Do you, do you want to wait here for them? And like simultaneously both they're like, no, we want off. I was like, okay. And, uh, yeah, we're over this. We're done. She was over it. I honestly, I had been there for five minutes and I was over it. Were you getting seasick yet? Cause like, no, thankfully. Yeah. I, and if I was, I was able to hold it in long enough to look cool. (laughs) Yeah. Well done me. I'm on the boat for about 10 minutes. I'm like, Oh, oh, hold on, hold on. I got to compose myself. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm looking off the stern, man. And there's like these giant waves like coming and picking up the back of the boat. And that's when I was like, these are way bigger than we thought they were. So, and and I kind of realized the situation these guys are in. So I was like, all right, well, I was like, here's the deal. You know, we can't hoist to this boat. There's, you know, it was just too small. Like there was no way there was too many lines, all that stuff. And it's just being tossed around too much. I was like, if you guys, if you guys want off the boat, you're going to have to get in the water. And immediately the lady, like I could see her like freeze up. She got emotional. She's like, I'm scared. And I was like, I get it, but trust me, like, you know, I do this for a living and you're, you're going to be fine. I'm, uh, uh, it's, it's going to be cold, but I'm going to get you into the helicopter and we're going to get you home safe. Yeah. It's easier she's for me like, to do it out of the water than it is off that boat. It's crazy. As exactly. It yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm in way more control in the water. Yeah. Totally. So, so that's when she hits me with, uh, what are we going to do about the dogs? And I go dogs. And she, she points inside the cabin. And I look in and there's this, uh, there's like this terrier looking dog. And, and I didn't even notice this the whole time I've been on the boat, this dog, speaking of which there's mine. Nice. Uh, this dog. Yeah. Sit down, girlfriend. This dog is, uh, barking had been barking at me the whole time. And I just hadn't noticed it. Uh, <laughs> I look in there and, and I, it had to be like a 30, 40 pound dog right next to it is one of those little chihuahuas doing the same thing, just barking its head off and just shaking. <laughs> so, so I'm sitting there and I'm kind of racking my brain. I'm like, all right, well, you know, like I said before, I'm a dog person, you know, and honestly I like dogs more than I do people anyway. So I was like, there's no way these dogs are not making it off this boat. I will find a way. So um, I'm getting her prepped. She's got on one of those uh, saltwater uh, uh, inflatables. Okay. Uh, the type of, uh, ooh, don't, don't quiz me. Type no, one? don't worry. Whatever. Yeah. She had a little inflatable. Yeah, that was right. St- yeah, yeah. It was an inflatable. Yeah. Standard, uh, so she's, just a standard life jacket for the boats. It'll pull the toggle yep. and inflates. Is that? Okay. Exactly. And okay. I don't think, and she was so cold. I don't think that she was aware that it had a pull toggle. She was like, oh, it activates in the water. And I was like, meh. And I just yanked and it inflated. She was like, Oh, didn't know it did that. I was like, yep, that's how we're going to do this. <laughs> I'm a trained professional, ma'am. Like, Let me pull that. Oh. Ma'am, I've, yeah. I've yanked a couple of these cords before. It's yeah, kind yeah. of my job description. <laughs> yeah. 
So she's like, oh, uh, I need to get my stuff. And I go, you know, anytime, anytime a survivor says I need my stuff, all rescue swimmers go, hmm, okay, how much stuff are we talking? Um, because I, I don't know if you guys live on this boat. I don't know if yeah. this is your everything, if all of your worldly possessions are on here, which I know has happened before to people. Yeah. So, um, so I was like, all right, keys, wallet, cell phone, medicine. That stuff can go into a small bag. She's like, okay. And so she goes in the cabin. She's searching around grabbing that stuff. She grabs this tool bag. Like one of the standard, you remember the old green stool, uh, tool bags at work? Um, yeah. They used to give out just hand, it's just a cloth canvas yeah. uh, tool bag. Yeah. So she gives it to me and it's got a bunch of tools in it. And the guy's like, oh, you can just dump all that stuff out. So I dump all the tools out and I'm looking at it. And I look over that little dog and I look back at the bag and I go, put that little dog in here. <laughs> and, and she's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, put that dog in this bag and she's like uh, uh okay and she puts her cell phone keys wallet and stuff in there and she grabs that little chihuahua and puts it in the bag and it kind of like kind of didn't realize what was happening at first and uh as soon as i went to go put the edges together it figured out what i was doing and was not happy about it at all <laughs> and the next thing i see are these little jaws coming out from in between the flaps like rah, 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 rah. so <laughs> I, I luckily had my neoprene gloves on and I just smushed, I just smushed the dog down in there to have the dude help me zip up the bag, uh, completely closed it. <clears throat> and I told the lady, I was like, Hey, when you get in, I just want you to hold this bag up as high as you can. And she's like, yeah, you got it. So I hopped off, excuse me. She came to the edge, um, and immediately was, you know, got overcome by fear of, of hopping in the water. And so I'm holding on to the side. I'm halfway in the water yeah. and, and I'm talking to her. And I was like, look, I know you're scared. I get it. And she's no, I'm really scared. And I was like, yeah, no, I understand. And as I'm saying, I just reached up and I grabbed her by the jacket and I pulled her in. Cause nice. I was like, you know, we can, it's like ripping the bandaid off. Right. Yeah. You know, just do or, it. Or you don't just ever want to ease done. into a cold pool. Just no. get in. No, yeah. Yeah. Just <clears throat> drop in. I know that it was cold because you know, obviously I'm in a dry suit and I'm relatively warm, but the moment she hit the water was that, that mammalian, that animal, <gasps> that, yeah. that deep breath, she came up, was flailing. And the only thing I could think of was like, I just need to keep her focused and get her mind off of how cold this is. And not, so what I said, as I took her in tow, I was like, Hey, keep the bag out of the water, keep the bag out of the water. And she zoned in and was like, yep. Okay. And even though I know she was cold and was still like breathing really hard, um, she was able to focus like on keeping the bag up. So call for the basket, got her in the basket. Um, she went up. Uh, I did the, the same thing. I waited there while they, while, while she got out, we had brought hypothermic bags. So the flight mech took a while getting her out of the basket and put her into like a sleep. It's like a big sleeping bag. Yeah. Um, so I just waited in the water. They sent the sling back down. Um, and by the time I was able to get up and out of the water and see where the boat was, it was so far gone. I just was like, Hey, bring me back up into the cabin and we reset. And then, super smart. You know, super smart. Yeah. Don't, put don't it exhaust on, put it on yourself repeat. trying to swim and catch the boat. You, nope. Use a helicopter. You're not going to try. That's yeah. what it's there for. Right. Yeah. You know, let, let it do some of the work. 
So yeah. went back up, did another sling deployment, uh, same plan, got to the rope, pulled myself over to the edge. And the gentleman, um, you know, I was like, all right, you ready? He goes, oh, now? And I go, oh, yeah, man, we're, we're out of here. So he comes, gets on the side. And he's like, what about, the, you know, and I told him, I was like, so what you're going to do is you're just going to, because luckily the bigger dog had one of those doggy life jackets on it, which was okay. super helpful. Um, shout out to all mariners out there. If you're going to bring a dog, get one of those life jackets because if you need it, it's going to help me out a lot. <laughs> <laughs> True so, statement. Yeah. Yep. So he gets to the edge and he, he kind of does this like tactical roll over the edge of the boat and into the water. And same thing. Like when he hit that water <gasps> yeah. and at that point, he's like, whatever it takes to get your head out of the water. Like he, he was holding on, mushing the dog underwater. And so like, I just got my hand under the dog and like, I was like, Hey, don't, don't push the dog underwater. Like you need to keep the dog up. And he, you know, I kind of was playing the same, same thing with him. Um, and the whole time I had him by, I had like an equipment tow because he had on uh, one of those big type three, like the big square, bulky, ugly life jackets. Yeah. Yeah. That everybody has on their boat just yeah. so they don't get a ticket from the right. Coast Guard. Right. Um, he had that on and there was really no way I could get him in a cross chest. So I just, I had him by his hood on his hoodie yeah. and the dog the whole time is coming over his shoulder, trying to swim over to me. <laughs> and i'm like i've got one hand mushing the dog back one hand on like this and one hand and looking back like this to see the helicopter and what yeah. we're doing so i that basket comes down and i stick him in the basket and the dog i'm telling him the whole time i was like you gotta hold on to the dog you know because if you let him go he's gonna be on me yeah. uh trying to find a safe dry spot yeah uh so i gave him the basket and sure enough, as I'm getting in position, the dog is halfway out of the basket and halfway in, I'm on the side of it. And the dog just puts his two rear legs on my chest and his two front legs on his, on his owner's chest. And this dog is completely out of the water <laughs> inside the basket. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, okay. I give the ready for pickup and I'm like, I'm just going to time this right. As soon as, as soon as I felt tension, I just mushed the dog's butt into the basket and he stood on his owner's chest the entire way up to the helicopter. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So when I got back in, uh, we transitioned to four fly. We were just going to take them to, um, the little hospital there in Fort Bragg. But the lady, I was like, uh, I was like, how are the dogs? She had it underneath the sleeping bag. And she goes, he came up dry talking about like in the bag. And I was like, <laughs> right on. We did it. Teamwork. Man, that's awesome. What a good story. Yeah. It was, dude. Cool yeah. Yeah, it was a neat one. <laughs> oh, I First love time it. in those big seas, man. It was, it was, it's an eye opener. Yeah. 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 When you get into the big seas, you're like, Oh, Oh, this is what it looks like. It's a oh, water. okay. It's a, it's a building. <laughs> it's a water. It's a wall of water coming at you. Just, and you're yeah. Like, oh, what yeah. did, uh, what did Drew Dazzo say? Drew Dazzo said, I learned what it was like to swim uphill. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or swim up. Yeah. Okay. And just, and, yeah. Oh, so fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Man, thanks, dude. That, that's a killer story. Nothing I like wrong. that one. Incredible. Good job, dude. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So, all right. I, I'm, I'm going to keep going because I want to really get on Do this it. one. This is uh, it's kind of like the... Anyway, so you got you and your crew. I, I'm going to give props to the entire crew right now. 
your entire crew doing this. I, I know I'm just talking to you and we're going to get your aspect of it, but this, this could not have happened without a good solid air crew. So hats off. Good job to the entire crew right now, right away. Yes. So it's a um, team sport for sure. Absolutely. And this one, um, so this just happened not too long ago, 2019, and it was out of Humboldt and you, uh, this is a little outside the normal of the coast guard. And I, you know what, I'm just going to read it and, and then you can kind of walk us through it. You ready? I'm ready. All right. Citation to accompany the award of the distinguished flying cross to Patrick G. McGinnis, aviation survival technician, first class, United States coast guard. Petty Officer McGinnis is cited for extra, extraordinary heroism while participating in aerial flight on Coast Guard Helicopter 6561 on September 6, 2019. The helicopter crew launched shortly before midnight to extract two firefighters who had been critically injured by a falling boulder and were unable to be evacuated over land in the steep wooded terrain. Without alternative rescue resources and advancing wildfires threatening to overtake the firefighters, Petty Officer McGinnis prepared for a high-risk rescue in a steep mountain valley at an elevation of 4,500 feet with no moon illumination, minimal aircraft power margins, and smoke obscuring his view. Bravely descending over 250 feet, over the terrain, he avoided entanglement in the tree branches as the helicopter struggled to maintain position in the darkness and smoke. Once he was on the ground, the Coast Guard rescue helicopter realized that there was insufficient fuel to affect the rescue. Despite knowing the grave danger in the act of wildfire, Petty Officer McGinnis volunteered to remain on scene. However, the aircraft commander ordered his retrieval. Reassessing the mission on the ground, he proposed that removing all non-essential gear to maximize fuel and on-scene time for a second sortie. Battling updrafts and dense smoke, the rescue helicopter reestablished a hover and Petty Officer McGinnis yet again descended into the fire zone. Demonstrating calm under fire, he skillfully conducted a little-known litter-augmented double pickup so that's riding two guys on the hoist hook with the litter, cutting the hoist, cutting the hoist times in half. Even after sustaining an injury, he willingly redeployed into the highly active fire zone where the heat intensity could be felt on his skin as ambers deflected from his flight gear and ultimately saving the lives of two firefighters. Petty Officer McGinnis' actions, skill, and heroism were instrumental in the gallant rescue of two firefighters. His courage, judgment, and devotion to duty in the face of the hazardous flying conditions are most heartily commending in keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Coast Guard. Dude, that's that's awesome. Good write-up. Yeah, yeah. And so there's a couple, th- all right, walk us through it, man. You guys get, what, what's the call that comes in? Just firefighters hurt or what? Yeah, so the co-pilot um, really, uh, there wasn't a SAR alarm. The co-pilot sent a, a, a text message just, um, hey, we might have a medevac going on, you know, come by the command center. So uh, we we walked over there and there's lots, lots of, uh, I think um, at the time, 
they had the ops officer on the telephone. It's Commander Brandon Hillary, who is a top-notch guy. Um, he was on the phone and kind of getting briefed on the situation. And the aircraft commander, uh, Lieutenant Commander Derek Schrammel, was already in there. Um, and they were already talking about everything that was going on. So he kind of whispered, he's like, yeah, it's two firefighters inland. Um, one may have a leg injury. Another may have like a head, neck, spine injury. We had very, very, as is everything in the Coast Guard and, and especially in aviation, we had very little information. Um, none of it confirmed. So it was kind of the, the telephone game yeah. that we were getting from the incident commander uh, on on scene to their dispatcher to the command center kind of thing. So there was a lot of discussion going on because, you know, it's very dark. This was near a wildfire in very, very, so you're familiar with the Trinity Alps. Oh yes. This yep. is, this is the Trinity Alps. Like we were, we were going to be hoisting in, um, uh, I can't remember the name of the Canyon at right, right off the top of my head, but um, it's a famous trail. A lot of guys go go walking that trail out there, um, but it's super steep. It's just a big bowl of a canyon, and so there, you know, Mr. Schmel was kind of like, I don't know, I don't, I honestly don't think that we'll we'll go on this. It seems a little, you know, outside of our scope. So, Which the discussion is, let me started. Throw that in there real quick because sure. the Coast Guard, uh, in general, does not do a lot of inland wire wildfire stuff. Uh, that's that's no. not normal. So the fact that, that this was even uh, looked at as a possibility was fantastic on, on all levels of yeah. Coast Guard. It's huge. Rescue, uh, you know, you're, you're taking, because again, U.S. Coast Guard, they deal with coast and offshore and they're going to the boat world and water, man, that is the bread and butter of the Coast Guard rescue swimmer and aviation side of things. Yeah. You get inland into fire, smoke, mountains. It's, we don't, we train for it, but there's not an excessive amount of training for stuff like that. You know, not like you would have um, some of the National Guard or some of the police officers or the firefighters that, that do that on a regular basis. Coast Guard comes in. And That's like, exactly right. Yeah. You guys are figuring out stuff as you go. You take all your knowledge do that, but it's not normal. So that's, I want to emphasize that for everybody out there that's listening. Yeah. And so, and, and actually to add on to that, uh, you're exactly right. So doing inland stuff, doing uh, um, anything over mountains and terrain, it's not in the Coast Guard aviation wheelhouse, but what is, is hoisting at night yep. on NVGs. We do that. We are very good at it as a matter of fact. Yep. So uh, other agencies had been called um, to come and assist with this situation. And I, I think that two of them turned it down because they don't hoist at night. Um, something along those lines, I, you know, I, I can't speak to, it would be speculation. I'm not exactly sure why, but they turned it down. All good. All good. So, no problem. Yeah. A lot, a lot of agencies like, don't hoist at night because of the dangers mm -hmm. that come into it. This is where Coast Guard specifically is like, game on and and they do a, like yeah. you said they do a very good job at it so okay. yeah so um yeah and exactly so with that knowledge knowing that you know these guys uh, are up on this mountain and that really nobody else was coming to get them it was like a i think it didn't sound like it was something crazy i think it was like a two mile or 
three mile hike to get these guys back to a trailhead where an ambulance can meet them. Okay. But they're saying like, there's no way we're going to make that before the morning. Um, and so we finally get the information that like, it was a car sized boulder or car, not car size, a car battery sized boulder that had rolled down off the hill, struck one guy in the leg before hitting the guy below him in the like head, neck, shoulders region rendering him unconscious for a spell of time. So I'm starting to think like, Oh, this is like a feet, you know, they're saying it's a femur fracture. I'm starting to think like compartment syndrome, like, yeah, you know, some really yeah. like dangerous, dangerous life threatening stuff. That was the point that I needed to make to everybody in the room was like, Hey, a broken femur is life threatening. You can bleed your whole body's volume of blood into your thigh. If you know, it's conditions are right. And if it's broken badly enough. So, um, so that kind of pushed things towards like, Hey, let's at least go and give this a look. Um, if anything, our command signed off on that. They're like, just go see what you can do. Like if it's doable, we're going to leave it up to you guys to go make an assessment. So that's what we did. Um, we hopped in the plane. We're heading out, uh, east of here over to the Trinity Alps. It's a, it's a maybe a 30 or 40 minute, I don't know, maybe not even that, uh, uh, flight over to there. And as we're coming over the mountaintops, you could see on MVGs, this bright plume of wildfire. And it was like, it was bananas because, you know, the smoke, once we actually got close enough, the smoke, uh, rose up to a certain altitude and it hit like this inversion layer. And it just looked like an anvil. It just oh, like was a tabletop wow. of smoke and it just covered this whole canyon the whole canyon was just covered in smoke and so we had to get down into that yeah and we're doing circles in this bowl um trying to get in touch with the incident commander so we're just doing big circles um looking out the doors and finally we were like oh i think you know we, we got in touch with the incident commander on the radio and he's like yeah we've got our headlights on like our lamps on you'll be able to see us i'm like okay and down the mountain so basically if you take this whole mountain ridge and then cut it in half everything from halfway up was on fire. Um, and maybe for a couple square miles, just this big square of fire going up this mountain um, with several like ridges on that, on that, uh, uh, that mountainside. And we look down past the fire line a little bit further into the canyon. We see the, like a trail of lights. And we're like, Oh, definitely. We see you guys. And uh, yeah, we're flying find be right now and instant commander comes back on he goes nah man that's that's not us you need to you need to look higher up towards the fire so oh, we did another man. pass and we see like five or six headlamps maybe 15 20 yards underneath this the, the line of fire and immediately like everything because you know we saw them down the mountain like oh okay this is we can do this um, but once we saw where they were on this really steep slope, right next to the fire, you could feel it in the aircraft. Everybody's like, Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, yeah. This whole thing has changed. And so our mission from that point was to try and find an approach that was going to be feasible. Like, you know, mind you, this is, you know, I think 4,500 feet is what the, the write-up says for the altitude. The H 65 does not like to perform at high altitudes, you know, the air is thin. It requires more power to stay in a hover. Um, 
you know, obviously I'm not a pilot, so I can't speak to all of the, you know, challenges that are, that the helicopter face, but just suffice it to say, like the helicopter does not want to do what it's supposed to do at higher altitudes, or at least the way we like to use this helicopter, right. you know? So to add in the fact that you're flying over a fire, which now heats up the yeah. air, which creates, it's a harder, we're going to get into lift versus rotation and the dynamic of, of helicopter performance. But, you know, it's basically, yeah. you're trying to fly it in, in a super hot area where it, the lift is just not there. And the lift is talking every time the rotor blade does a full circle, it creates lift. And that's what holds the helicopter in the air. And that's for all our non-aviation people out there. So, um, yeah. yeah, that's, yeah, that's pretty gnarly. Yeah. So that whole time, I think we did something like, like 10 plus approaches uh, in different directions Wow! over these guys trying to find the sweet spot. Every time we would pull into a hover or try to pull into a hover, uh, Mr. Schmel would, you know, say, ah, you know, it's an updraft or I'm losing power or he would go into an, uh, an uncommanded descent um, and we'd have to dip the nose and fly it down yeah. out of the, you know, out of that, off that ridge. And it just was, it was terrible. You know, we burn up a lot of fuel and a lot of time trying to figure out the best way to, to come at this. So I think, you know, at, on the last one, he was able to pull it and hold it steady enough. He's like, okay, all right, let's, let's try this. Let's see if we can, let's see if we can get you out and, and try and get one of these guys. So the plan was, I was just going to go down on the hook on a harness delivery. Uh, and then the litter would come down. He's like, you know, we'd come with the plan, like, let's try to prioritize and get the worst patient out first. Yeah. Um, I mean, just try to do what we can. So, uh, I'm coming out the door it's pitch black, but all you can see is the fire, um, lighting things up and the spotlights from the plane, you know, you, you could see this really well cause the smoke was all around. And, and so you could see like the beams pretty well. And I'm brand new to Humboldt. I had transferred in the summer of 2019 and this is September, yep. I think. Or September August, 6th. Uh, so, yeah. September 6th. So, uh, so I have zero experience out here. Like I I'm just learning about this whole area. So I'm coming out the door and I see all the trees on the Ridge and I'm like, in my brain, I'm like, man, redwood trees are like two and 300 feet tall. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> this, I didn't know that these aren't redwood trees, right? These are like Alpine pine trees. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm sitting there in my brain. I'm like, dude, if we're this high above the trees, like, Oh man. So as I'm coming out of the door, I look up at the flight mechanic, Tyler, and I go, watch for the candy cane on the cable. I was, I was deathly afraid that he was going to come to the end of the cable and I was going to plummet to my death. So the candy like, cane that you're referring to on the end of the hoist cable, the last 20 feet of the hoist cable, uh, there's a red and white stripe. Some of them are orange, some of them have red uh, or red and white, but it gives you that indication as a hoist operator that you're down to the last 20 feet and you're maxing out that cable. That's right. So, you know, I kind of gave him, gave him the googly eyes or, you know, the big eyes like, Hey man, just, Watch, I'm mouthing him, watch for the candy cane. Yeah. You know, as I'm, as I'm heading under, as I'm going past the rail. Yeah. So heading down and it was just the long, Jason, it was just the longest hoist ever. Uh, it took forever to get down there. Um, you're so far into the helicopter. It's not really even loud anymore. You know that feeling? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> you know? So I was like, oh God, this is strange. And came to the point 
Um, and as it turns out, sure enough, we found the candy cane. Uh, and Tyler, this was, if this wasn't Tyler's first case, it was one of his very first case, but I think it was his first case. Uh, dude, without skipping a beat, he, he found the candy cane, stopped, stopped the hoist and conned the aircraft down. Even in the power margins it had, he conned the aircraft down wow. just to get me the, the, the last like 25 feet. And he shoved me right into this, like into this tree. <laughs> and I just grabbed hold of it, kind of shimmied my way down the tree, disconnected and, uh, and sent the hoist hook back up. And then it was like a 30, 35 degree scramble. They, so the firefighters had cut out this section um, with chainsaws for us to hoist to. Okay. It was very, very small, like 10, 10 yards by 10 yards, maybe. Yeah. Something very small. So I scrambled up all these trees. I get up to where, where, uh, where the firefighters are. And I start, you know, just asking questions like, all right, who's the worst. And I'm telling the instant commander there. I'm like, here's the situation. We are very heavy and we don't have a whole lot of gas. Like I might be able to take one of your guys. So you, you need to tell me who you think it's going to be. So he's like this guy. And he, I think he was uh, pointing to the, um, to the femur fracture. If I remember correctly, he's like, uh, he's, he's the worst at this point and he's the one we're most worried about. So they have a paramedic on their crew and was able to say like, Hey, you know, we're most worried about him. And matter of fact, like they didn't even want a traction splint in because they were really afraid of how shattered it was that they were going to nick an artery and oh, call wow. it, make it worse. Wow. So did they at least help at him his, out? Wait, did, did they give him a bunch of pain, pain drugs for you to help? I don't know him? if he had, I don't know if he okay. had any pain medication on board. They didn't, okay. they didn't give me like a pass down that, that I know that his foot was turned all the way almost backwards and oh. his thigh just looked like jello. So, Dang. um, so I'm like, okay, so, uh, the litter's going to come down. Um, and I'm needed you guys to give me a hand getting him in there. And they're like, okay. So, uh, I radioed up for the litter and started sending it down. It didn't have a trail line on it. You know, they just kind of went for it. And, uh, as it was about halfway down, the litter just started doing the big circles under the plane. Sailing. Big oscillations. And I was, Damn. Yep. And I radioed up and I was like, Hey, abort the hoist. Like we're going to hit a tree. This isn't, this isn't going to work. Um, you need to send a trail line down. So they popped the litter back up. And the next thing I know, uh, the bear hook came down and they came on the radio and they're like, Hey, we need you to hook up. We're, we're, we're out of time. So, um, I just looked over at the instant commander. I was like, we got to go. We're going to go get some gas, think about this. And we, we might be back. I didn't want to give any promises because I just yeah. didn't know where this was going to go. So yeah, yeah. We, we might, we might be back in a little bit. We need to go figure some stuff out. So I got so back on the plane. Out of curiosity, uh, because the write-up said that you volunteered to stay on seat and the aircraft commander actually said, no, don't. How, how did that, and, and I do want to say that every decision is made in the heat of the moment, in the fight of the battle, and that decision was made at that point in time. Could that have been adjusted now that you look back on it? Or was that the right decision all the way around? Um, looking back on it, it was the right decision. Nice. Nice. Okay. Sweet. Yeah. It was it was the right decision, you know. So obviously every swimmer is gonna say, put me in coach, I can do it. Right. Oh, of course. Um, you know, my whole plan and this was so that my my volunteering to stay there was before we did the first hoist is while we were doing the approaches i was like hey 
listen, we can save some weight. If it means I can get both guys in the plane, I'll stay, Yeah. you know, and I'll, I'll hike myself. My, in my mind, I was like, I will hike myself out of there or scramble down, you know, wherever I got to go to keep myself safe. Obviously I don't have any PPE that can protect me from the fire. Right. You know, Which is a, a big fact, concern because all the firefighter guys, they've got gear and they're prepared for yeah. this. You, you, you're coming down as a air crewman. Yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, the very night of this case, all of my inland SAR equipment had arrived that night. So I had had Christmas in the shop on duty, you know, because <laughs> all of my new shiny gear for this inland SAR stuff just showed up. And I was, you know, like a kidney candy store pulling all out all my new stuff. So that's what I wore. You know, I, I was like, Hey, it's here, you know, and it's, but it's none of that's protective against, against fires or anything like that. It's, it's mainly for survival and exposure. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so I made, I, I made that suggestion. I was like, I'll stay here and you guys can try to take two, two of both the patients at the same time. And Mr. Schmel, you know, he was like, dude, I, I respect that, but not a chance. Nice. He's like I just, yeah. You know what? Uh, good for so, him for sticking to his guns too. Like, like, yeah. You know, and yeah. I'll get into CRM real quick. You had a discussion about it. Everybody talked about it. And you know what? The final decision was, nope, you're coming back with us anytime we go. Yep. And everybody was on board. Awesome. Yep. Love it. And Love we'll it. Start, you'll find out why here in a second, why it was. Oh, right okay. Call. Yeah. I should just because, shut up now. No, please. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the trip back, we, we went to an airport to go get fuel. The trip back was... Uh, to say the least, everybody inside was palpably dismayed. You could feel it that everybody's like, we can't do this. Like, you know, I think Tyler said something like, I don't know about this guy's like, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I, I'm trying to keep hope alive, you know, cause I still want to go do work and I want to get these guys out of here. And I was like, well, let's, you know, let's get on the ground and talk about it. Mr. Schmel said something along those same lines. He's like, let's, we'll call the ops in and have a discussion and all that. And, uh, so we landed, shut the plane down, fuel guys there. Um, and we're starting to do like a quick debrief. And I brought it up to everybody. I said, all right, so before we, before we start this debrief and before we start talking about everything, I just want to tell you guys that I was on the ground and I saw the patients and they are in bad shape and they do need to get out of there. Um, and the terrain that they're on, they're not going to, those firefighters are not going to be able to hike these guys out on backboards. It's just it was too rugged. Yeah. I mean, this was like the most back country I've ever been in, uh, steep. It wasn't, there was no trail that I saw. It was like, you were going to be trail blazing if you were yeah. going to try to get these guys off this place. So, um, so I made that clear. I was like, we need to understand what, what the gain is here. The gain is we very much are going to probably save these guys, both these guys lives. The, I, the incident commander made it very clear that he doesn't think that they'll make it through the night. Um, so, that was, that was the intention. I was like, we need to have that as our foundation for whatever we go with next. Uh, and I said, my next suggestion is something that I saw in Hurricane Harvey. I was like, we can field strip this airplane down to bare bones, only what we need to take to go get this done. Yeah. And, you know, I was like, if they, if we say we don't want to do this, because mind you, we'd already done a training flight that night. So we're already 
four or five hours into the, into our crew mission time. Right. Okay. Um, if we say we're too tired or that this is too much and let's say the air station sides are going to send another crew, well, they're going to go back there and have to make all the same mistakes that we just made. You know, we've already been there. We've seen the right approach. We've, yeah. we've figured out some of the hard stuff. I was like, we're in a pretty good position to like, go get this done. And everybody kind of agreed, you know, that, you know, that if we take everything off the plane, I think we just kind of did like eyeball calculations. I think it was like 200 some odd pounds of equipment we were able to take off the plane. Um, we were like, that's, let's that's go give a, it another a, shot. That's one dude or, or one survivor that you're bringing back yeah. in the aircraft. These weren't light dudes, man. These are, these are big barrel chested firefighters, right? you know? Yeah. So, uh, so we all kind of came to the conclusion, like, yeah, let's, let's go for it, you know? Um, and just one of the benefits of having an amazing command was they had our back the whole way. I think that, uh, the ops boss was on the phone helping Mr. Schmel do fuel calculations, you know, just cause he knew how tired we were already. So he's like, well, here, I'll do all this, tell you what you got this. And that. Nice. Everybody's on board. He's like, look, you guys are the ones on scene. You, you make the call. Great support so, from, from back on super. base. Good job guys. Yeah. Yep. It was, I mean, it's all you could ask for, you know? So, so second attempt, we fly back out there. I think we had to do one or two approaches again to find a sweet spot. But once we got back there, we realized that the fire and this defies all physics in my brain. Like, I don't know how this works, but you would think like fire is just going to go uphill. Well, this fire had crept downhill and surrounded the firefighters on three sides. They had one oh, escape route, which no was just going to be straight down. And they stuck with where they were. They actually, while we were gone for maybe an hour, they tried to hike one of the guys out and they only made it 40 feet. Oh, that's my how God. bad this was. An so for hour. an hour, they went of them, 40 feet in an hour? One hour, they went into 40 feet. Wow. So we radioed them on our way back and uh you know we're like hey what's your status i'm like well we're trying to hike this guy out we've only made about 40 feet or something like that and uh, mr Shamel was able to be like he's like hey hike your guy back up i think we can take both of them and you know they're like okay you know they they were on the spot they're like yep and so they just hustled i don't know how they did it because i think we did like two approaches back to back and and by the time um, i got out the door and got back down onto the uh on deck uh, both the guys were back in the same spot. So uh, while we were getting fuel, we talked about doing the LADPU. The, uh, so that's kind of what the Coast Guard, the, the name that we've come up with for it, because we have SADPU, which is sling augmented double pickup, yep. you know, MADPU, military aviator double pickup. Um, and so LADPU, litter augmented double pickup. Um, so I floated that while we were on ground. Everybody, you know, I had only seen that from other agencies like the one you work for and seeing, you know, following, you know, seeing videos yeah. of other private companies um, or some military uh, uh, branches that use a double pickup with, with litters. Yep. That's not a coast guard policy. Um, that's not a standard technique that we, that we use. Um, but or practice. it was what was going to get, I'm going to throw that in there too. It's not, a, not yes. something that you normally use or practice. And there's a that's reason exactly I'm saying right. that now. Yeah. That's exactly right. So, um, so what that meant was, you know, I had to really, uh, uh, cross my T's and dot my I's making sure that, you know, 
I'm putting this together on the fly. Obviously nobody's taught me how to do this. I've seen it done. And I, I got the basics of what that should probably look like on my hook setup. Yep. Um, so the whole flight back, I'm like visualizing in my head, like, all right, how, how can we expedite these hoists? How can I make this faster? How can I basically everything that anybody who has ever flown on a 65 has to do, how can I shave time off of this? How can I make this the most efficient that I possibly can? Yeah. Uh, so I'm visualizing in my head. I'm like, all right, we'll send a trail line down, um, have the firefighters tend it. Uh, and we're probably going to need two trail lines hooked together because it is a very long way down. Yeah. Uh, and each trail and, line, as a reminder for everybody out there, is 105 feet with a weak link, which is rated at 330-pound breaking strength on each end. Look at me. Service-wide. Hey, Service-wide. So. Here it comes. <laughs> Okay, so, so now you've got 210 feet of trail line connected together. Okay. Yep. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna place that on the hook, and then uh, I'm thinking in my head. So I'm going to take the. We only brought one litter, mind you. So you know, it, we didn't expect that we were gonna need two litters. We brought one litter, and I was gonna need to make that work. So I'm trying to go through my head like, how am I gonna make this work? So trail line down. I'm gonna take the litter with me. Go down. Uh, both these guys are on backboards, so I'm going to put them, uh, put one in, go back up with him. Cause I know that the flight mechanic is going to need me to help him take the backboard out of the litter and put it back into the tail cone so that we can reuse the litter for the second guy. Wow. So, yeah, so that, that's how, that's how complex this was. And I, I think I had like a 15 minute plane ride back out there, 10 minutes, something very short where I was just like, I was like stressing in my head, like, all right, do we, I, I need to get this nailed down because I'm Mr. Shamel was like, I need you just to tell me what you want to do when we get there. Take, take your time, think about it. And then when we get there, give me your game plan. And that's exactly what we did. So uh, I think for the first one, um, I, I hooked up the litter to, uh, I, I put myself on the, uh, or I put the litter on the hoist hook and then put myself in behind it inside the plane. And I was just going to shimmy to the door with everything. Right. And that was, that was a terrible plan. <laughs> it was, it was, yeah. none of that worked like I wanted it to. It got hung just up on record, everything I, on the I way out. I, I could have told you that right now. I don't, yeah, that's yeah. not going to work. <laughs> yep. That's what I, I got it out the door. I got it out the door, but not before hitting everything in the helicopter with the litter <laughs> and getting it hung up on oh, something on the way out. That's hilarious. So, yeah. So, but whatever. I'm out. I'm sitting pretty. It's sitting about, you know, right at my waist. And I'm like, cool. This is, this is doable. I can, I can definitely hang with this. So cool. Uh, ready to go down. Um, the, unfortunately, right where we were was it had to be directly over top of the firefighter who was holding the trail line. So all that did was just create like a top. So I was still spinning and it kind of just made it worse because we're straight up and down. A, a tagline where, or trail where line was is much your better tagline, Where was your tagline attached to? The hoist hook itself where, or the litter? Where it's supposed to be by Coast Guard standards. Yeah, the that, hoist hook. that's something I, I'm going to disagree with the Coast Guard right there. Uh, and I, I'm sorry for anybody that got, gets pissed off with this statement. Stop hooking it to the hoist hook. Put it to your piece of gear. Put it to the basket, like on the bale of the basket, or put it to the end of the, the end of the litter to give yourself that position of 
not spinning. It doesn't work if you're connected directly. You still spin. You might not get a swing, but you're still going to spin. Yeah, Throwing that out them, there, I might help you guys out. There you go. Hey, thanks for the advice. <laughs> a, a, a lot of, actually, a few of the guys I know that um, that have gone from AST to PJ made that same suggestion, and I know yeah. that uh, the Stan team has taken has taken that up. Stan team and uh, and like Alsi has taken up that issue, and and they're they're looking at it. There's a new tools, tactics, and procedures uh, manual that's going to be coming out, and I don't know if it's going to address that, but I know they're taking a look at it. So I, think, I hope they do. You know, they, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, There's keep no going. Sorry, there. sorry. Throw that little side so, door in there. Oh yeah, for sure. It, it's all about learning. You know, yeah. that's what this is all about. Yeah. So, uh, so I I get down there, and um, this was something that I hadn't thought about in the plane. But as soon as I put my feet on the ground with the litter, I disconnected, and I told um, the firefighter who was who was tending the tray line, I was like, "Hey, just keep the hook here. Just keep just hold that hook right there." and give it back to me when I, when I need it. And he goes, yeah, you got it. And I'm sitting here thinking, I was like, yeah, like, why don't we just cut the time out of bringing the hook all the way back up and then bring it back down. We can just leave it here. This yeah. should be a pretty relatively quick packaging. I'm just yeah. going to slide this dude in, put some buckles on and be out right. the door. He's already backboarded. He's already been triaged. He's, he's packaged, yep. ready to go. You're going to drop him in the litter, connect all the red to red, green to green, blue to blue, done. gray to gray, black to black, boom, done. Hey, that's pretty we good, out. right? Service-wide, by the way. Let's throw that out one Nailed more time. it. You got it. <laughs> yeah, that's what I did. I just, I came right up to this dude, and it was such a such a big slope. I really just, like, I mushed my, that's a technical term. Yep. I mushed my knees into the <laughs> cliff and then set the litter on top of it uh, and so that it kind of negated that slope. Shoved that dude in there. Firefighters, I was like, hey, this buckle, that buckle, this buckle. Boom. Lifting V-rings. And just looked back and was like, hey, man, let me get the hook. And it was right there. Oh, nice. Nice. And, and away we went. So straight up to the helicopter, got inside. Um, got him, You uh, went with him? Uh, slid my... So yep, you did a double, double pickup? Nice. Okay. Yep. Uh, and that was the part that I knew on the flight out there. I was like, that's going to be the important one because I have to help Tyler get this guy out and into the, into the tail cone. Yeah. Okay. So that I can reuse the litter. That's so right. That's, oh, that's what right. We did. You, did, you did say that. Yeah. So, and I know, I know that you know this, but the swimmer squat, the famous swimmer squat in the back of a 65, where you, everything you do is in a squatting position. Uh, <laughs> I am trying to get this guy. I'm trying to, I've got the litter backed up. There's a little step. So the, the, the cabin of the 65 is flat. Um, and then there's a little step. And then it goes back into the tail cone. Yeah. Uh, I've got the litter backed up to that step. And I'm just, all I'm trying to do is get this backboard up and out and onto that lip so we can just shove him in. And man, for the life of me, I cannot, I cannot pick this, pick this guy up. Um, like what, no matter what I do, the whole litter comes with him and I'm trying to figure it out. And at this point, like my brain is going, you're running out of time. You're running out of time. You're running yep. out of time. Burning fuel. Up and finally, I'm burning fuel. That's it. And 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 to that point, the whole time we're in a hover, all we're doing is fanning this fire that's around these guys. It's just getting bigger. Like the whole time I was down there, it was dusty and hot. It's just getting bigger. Jason, it's getting bigger. And there's a point on the hoist cam footage where you hear Tyler, you know, during one of the, during like I think the second hoist, he goes, 
that fire is right underneath our tail. And that's right where the rotor wash was going, just fanning these flames. They're, the flames are crawling up the trees. It was gnarly. So that's all that's going through my head is like, we're running out of time. So I can't, I can't seem to get this thing loose. So I just went Hulk smash. And I remember just grunting and like just that everything that a human has in their body, just, ah, and I picked this dude up and I find I get it lifted and I see all it was, was the female buckle yeah. on the litter was stuck on the backboard. Oh and no. That, that's all it was. That's all that it was. So I flipped that thing off while I Hulk smashed. I a hundred percent threw my back out, like my lower back, like the L2, L3 kind of thing. Oh. I felt it just, and I w- went down to a knee and was like, Oh no. You know, like uh, luckily, like I'm still coursing adrenaline. So, yeah. but like, I knew I was like, this is going to, I'm going to pay for this later. So, you know, it, it went, it went fine. Got him up on the lip, slid him into the back and I'm putting the buckles back together. And, uh, I'm thinking back to the first hoist and I'm like, I am not going to make that mistake again, uh, that I did the first time getting the litter I and you out Tyler. Yeah. Yep. I yelled at Tyler. I go, I, I hooked it up to the hoist hook and I go, put it outside and I'll come to the door and clip in. <laughs> well done. Good correction. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Figured it out on the spot. Yeah. Cause then you could actually <laughs> so, help him get the litter outside the aircraft. So you guys are working yeah, together man. inside the aircraft. Now the gear's outside. Now you sit on the edge of the thing, boom, connect in, boom, rock and roll. Boom. Cause you're it still like connected Butterman. to the gunner's belt. You're still connected to the inside of the aircraft. You're not going anywhere. Brilliant. Yep. Nice. Well played. Yep. On the, on the fly, man, it worked out swimmingly again. Swimmingly. Uh, <laughs> so the second hoist was the same thing. Yeah. Second hoist was, it was exact, was a hundred percent repeat of the first. The Sweet. only thing that was different is that the fire was just much bigger and hotter the second time. So like we got it in the nick of time. Um, because as soon as we went up, those guys just scrambled and they went, like went straight down the hill and were out of there, which is why I, you know, I still stand by the fact that Mr. Schmel totally made the right call. Um, picking you up and not let me stay. Yeah. Good call, sir. Yeah. I, well I mean, done. You did it. You did yeah. it, sir. Thanks for all your help. <laughs> yeah. You know, if he listens to this, you know he's smiling right, right now. Maybe brushing his shoulders like, I know. He better be. Dude, <laughs> that guy's one of the best, man. Top notch, and you know it. That's awesome. Um, yeah, we flew out, landed at a, uh, at a heliport or um, at a small airport in Weaverville. Oh, nice. Sure you remember out, out yep. that way? Yep. We landed at that place um, and transferred both patients to reach helicopters that had been waiting for us all night. They'd been waiting the whole time. So kudos to those guys. Cause I know they, nice. you know, they're standing, standing the watch too. So we transferred in those guys. And then we ended up spending the night at a Cal fire station. Those guys took us in for the night. We slept in their living room. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Till a duty driver could come get us the next morning. Yeah. And then another crew comes and takes the aircraft back home. Nice. Yep. Wow. Dude. What a great <laughs> story. What a great case, man. Yeah. Totally out of the norm. Dude, that's a once in a career. Yeah. Like nutso. Yeah. I don't even know how to describe it, man. It was, it was, it was epic. 
Good job. Your entire crew. Thank you. Amazing. Yeah. Everything you're talking about, the CRM, you know, the the going outside the norm all the way around. You guys pulled off. Uh, did you ever follow up with the, the two firefighters? Were they okay? Uh, so I know Mr. Shamel attempted to, we never, we never were able to get in touch with them, but I That's know okay. that they, I, I know that they were, they ended up recovering. Oh, good, good, good. Mm-hmm. Hey, go firefighters. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, you want to talk about a tough bunch of folks, man. Those guys, like yeah. we think we're tough. Those guys, <laughs> being out in the woods fighting fires yeah in the middle of nowhere yeah <laughs> come That's on awesome. well man good job again your whole air crew just an amazing job on this whole rescue um incredible i i there was something i'd like to to kind of move past with this in particular case because you were talking about it you're doing a procedure that is not relatively practiced and you made it work the greatest part about what we do as rescuers, and I'm talking about everybody around the world, like everybody has their little tips and tricks and their little ways to do things. But there's always that time that you have to go outside the norm. And I just had a conversation with somebody else that had to go outside their norm that took mountain rescue stuff and put it on a vessel because it worked and it had to work. It's not something you practice at, but it sort of is what you practice at. Now, you the Coast Guard specifically, I, I'm psyched the fact that somebody's looking into, yes, you can ride up with your litter. I like riding with my patient. I like riding with my litter going to the aircraft. Um, for you guys, what I want you to do is I want you to ex- kind of explain to everybody really what your steps were to do this in, in, uh, in relation to safety precautions to make sure you and your victims are going to be fully uh, like okay with the hoist and, and everything's been checked through your mind and everything you're looking at, you're like, okay, what I'm doing here is a hundred percent safe. Nobody's going to fall and die. So that's what I want you to walk me through right now. Yeah. Well, it's like everything else that we do, right. It's all comes down to risk mitigation. Um, you know, you, you, all you can do is assess the situation that you have in front of you and the tools that you have and try to make decisions that have, um, you know, less of a risk impact on, on you and your survivors. So, you know, going out there, we had a plan. We talked about it as a crew. We brought together more minds than just mine, right. you know, and so that we could all think about this and say, and gave everybody the opportunity to go, well, here's how, you know, maybe that won't work, or maybe this could work better. Nice. Um, so, you know, and then once you can identify like, the hazards, like what could go wrong, then you can start taking the steps to mitigate. Uh, uh, how can I, how can we avoid that? You know, right. Transfer, avoid, spread out um, all of the, all of those um, risk mitigation factors. Yeah. All I could do was take what I knew. I know how to set up a litter. You know, I also yep. know how to clip my harness into the litter. Uh, Seems cool. pretty it's cut swimmer, and dry. <laughs> it's swimmer math, man. Like, yeah. 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 You know, I take the code here. I connect it here. Good. (laughs) Ready for pickup. Yeah. Right. Again, this is, but this is not normal. Like I said, this is not normal. This is not a normal Coast Guard procedure. So now you're, you're kind of figuring this out on the fly, uh, Mm -hmm. especially when you get to the cabin door with your patient, because now you're trying to bring the the litter in 
with a flight neck, which is not usually used to having a second guy outside the aircraft moving together. So how did sure. that work out when you guys got to the aircraft? Like, what did you guys do to, to work through that? It was honestly, it totally just felt like a natural move. Uh, I just slung my leg over the litter and basically, you know, rode the litter like a horse into oh, nice. the cabin. So, yeah. So basically once, once we came up to the door, I just put my feet on the deck and slung one leg over the litter and was able then to like help maneuver it. And all, as he boomed in uh, uh, everything and just slide everything back, it was like butter, man. It just came naturally, you know? Yeah. Nice. Uh, to to nice. just ride it. Yeah, man. It was perfect. Dude, that's it's, it's a, it was such an easy, like no brainer, yeah. you know? So cool. no, nothing cool like, that. so for you doing this procedure, like kind of bringing it up on the fly. Now, again, a lot of agencies do this around the world and it's common mm -hmm. knowledge. And, and those guys who are listening to us are like, ah, close God, what are you thinking? It, we've been doing this forever. Yes. Yeah. But when you try something that you've never practiced, it's, it's that little bit of like, got to breathe and walk through it. So, oh, yeah. and, uh, dude, I'm psyched for you guys. I really am this phenomenal job all the way around. Yeah. Badass. I'm psyched too, man. I, I, you know, that's what it's always about innovation and coming and, and trying to follow, you know, the industry and what works and what doesn't work. And, you yeah. know, as long as, as long as we all are, uh, uh, really put our foot forward and say, look, these things work, yeah. you know, and, and, and make strides in, in, in being better at our jobs. Yeah. Uh, then I think we're moving in the right direction. Dude. Awesome. Awesome. Oh, thanks brother. Man, I appreciate you sharing these stories, man. This is uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely, are you kidding me? This is fantastic. I had a blast. <laughs> yeah, me too. So good, 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 good. Well, uh, listen, I I have taken a ton of your time. My gosh, this is this is awesome. Um, I won't take any more, and I certainly don't want to take away from all these cases. That, there are all these rescues that you just uh, shared with us. So, man, oh, man, hats off again to you and all of your crews from both Harvey all the way to this one. Good job. Yes. Good job. Yeah. So I, it's like I said, it's team sport. All the way They around. brought me back. They brought me home every time. Yes, so they did. That's all that matters. <laughs> Good deal. Jason, thank you so much for having me, man. Absolutely. Anytime, brother. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute and like my daughters like to tell me, like and subscribe. Oh yeah. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story that they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you as a guest. Or if you have any questions about any of the rescues or anything else that we talk about here on this podcast, send me an email. The real rescue at gmail.com. That's T H E R E A L R E S Q at gmail.com. You can also check us out on our Facebook and Instagram page at The Real Rescue. That's at T H E R E A L R E S Q. I also want to give a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today. Always remember that when that SAR alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard.